Welcome to the Road Show. In South Africa, it brings people together, it breaks yeah, down barriers. Yeah, right. My passion winning to be the best. Being the best is something we strive for. Selfish, crucial roles, high fit. Passion. Great. Life. Passion. Fiction. Gold. Ultimate gold. Glory. Relentless training. Pain. Pain. <laughs> Hello ladies and gents and welcome to another epic episode of the Rose Show. Uh it's been a bit of a a bit of a while since we've had a an awesome guest on the show and uh and today we really have something special. Uh we've got a few things going on behind the scenes that we'll get into uh maybe in the conclusion and in uh into some in late in in our episode, but yeah, we've had a really really busy few few months but yeah going going really well and looking forward to the rest of the year um as always is myself Lawrence Britton and with me it is Jake Green and it's good to be back on air and like Lawrence mentioned we've got a very special guest and it is none other than Megan Calmo from the United States and I think talking to Megan you get a sense of the journey that we take as athletes going to these Olympic games and uh yeah, it was awesome to have Megan on the show and huge thanks for coming onto the show and giving a very candid look into her uh, her life and her journey as a rower. And yeah, some highlights were including her Olympic uh, Olympic medal, which she got in uh, 2012, winning the bronze medal. And then she's gone on to become a world champion racing in the quad. She's gone into multiple medals racing in the pair. She's raced in the eight. She's raced in the double. Like I mentioned earlier, very a very multifaceted athlete and you know a lot of a lot of fun chatting to her across uh no for sure it's a it's a very interesting uh episode with a lot of um you know different details and probably one of the most like versatile athletes we've had on the show you know just looking at her career the different boat classes that she's raced against i mean she's nearly done um you know she's nearly done them all um, apart from the the single, she's you know she's racing the double a lot. She's racing the pair a lot. She's done the the four, the quad, and um, and the women's eight. So uh, really, really interesting. And yeah, I think five, four Olympics, Jake, two thousand and eight, twenty twelve, twenty sixteen, and twenty twenty one. So um, yeah, I mean a really, really distinguished career uh, with some incredible results along the way. So. I mean, I really enjoyed the episode. I really enjoyed getting into the the nitty gritty of the U.S. women's team. You know, it's it's a team that has such history and performance, um, like a performance orientated culture. And it's not a team that we get to chat about that often on the on the road show. So it was really really awesome for me to dig into that, kind of get a better understanding of of how that team ticks and and what. The priorities are for the the U.S. women's uh, crews, which yeah, I found really interesting, and um, I think everyone listening to the episode will enjoy it a lot. Definitely, and I think uh, one thing I appreciate from speaking to Megan is the, you know, is the the ability to create strong and lasting partnership in boats. You know, she's um, she's raced in the pair and the double perhaps the most throughout her career, and I think that's a big a big element about rowing is is finding uh, partners and, and athletes that sort of share some sort of uh, synergy and creating a, you know, a relationship, creating a partnership that um, can stand sort of the test of multiple seasons because, you know, we, we, we discuss a lot of results in the Rose Show and you, you, de- you get a sense that it takes many, many years and many seasons most of the time to get, uh, you know, Olympic success and achieve 
achieve results um, like getting medals at both champs and winning some medals at both cups. So I enjoyed, really enjoyed that aspect of the, the interview with Megan and, and um, yeah, definitely very insightful to have her on the show. For sure, and I'm sure the, the listeners are going to enjoy it just as much as, as we did. Um, on another note, um, our Patreon groups have been incredible. Uh, if you want a little bit more rowing um, f- and a bit more content from us, always head over to the Patreon. That's where we have our um, our WhatsApp group and we have a whole lot of different um, kind of tiers on our, our Patreon for people to come and support us and, and help keep the, the show alive. Uh, they've been incredible, especially over the World Cups uh, during the regattas. There's so much banter. You know, if you want that like little bit extra kind of rowing news and, and info, then this is the place to be. And this is where Jake and I have been spending a lot of time looking forward to the the future of the row show and how we can improve what we what the content that we make for for rowing. So what we've been doing lately, what's been uh, taking up most of our time is building a rowing database. We're calling it the Rowing Almanac, and I think it's going to be quite incredible. It's got all the racing. You know, who's sick of looking through the World Rowing website? trying to decipher the the code there and, and find results and compare results to each other is really difficult. And especially when we're trying to research athletes, it's really not the easiest uh, place to find. The information is there, but it's not an easy place to look mm-hmm. at it and, and kind of get that kind of history of an athlete or, you know, of an event. So we've been building a database and the first people that will definitely get it is the the patrons. For sure. And it's, it's very exciting to, you know, we, we've, it's something that we've been wanting to do for a while and you know it's not just looking through you know what you usually see on the on on, on world rowing but it's also just the ability to you know go deep in history the idea is to create a database of all the rowing results um that have been recorded and it also allows you to look at stats differently you know you can look at easily look up um any rowers profiles and the results they've got in, you can look at times, top ten times across different events, uh, different events, and 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 what and whatnot. So, it's uh, it's part of a process, and uh, we just slowly starting to consolidate that data more and more and make it more accessible. So, it's a very exciting development at the Rocha, and I'm I'm really keen to get it out to the Patreons. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Yeah. It's going to be so cool for for people to have a look at it, and um and I'm so interested to see once you start giving it to the Patreons what they come up with, what uh, interesting you know facts they find and and data that they can analyze there and, and you know kind of build on it because it's there's so much racing out there there's so many results so it's hard for for us to just go and look and pick out all the the incredible things that are that are out there so yeah if you guys want that little bit extra rowing uh, that's going to hit the patreon um uh, team quite quick quite soon and yeah we'll take it from there and we'll see where where it goes but i think for now I hope you guys enjoy uh, Megan Calmo and yeah, it's a great, great episode. So enjoy it guys and girls. Welcome ladies and gentlemen to another awesome episode on the Row Show. And today we are joined by Megan Calmo from the USA. Megan, thanks so much for giving your time. We're really excited to chat and welcome to the show. Thanks you guys for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I feel like I've been such a fan of the show for such a long time that I don't know. I just want to do a good job because you guys, I feel like do such a good job of bringing like all of these awesome stories and all of these amazing personalities from all of these cool athletes from our sport. And 
putting it out there for everyone to enjoy, to share all these stories and all these experiences that all these like very legendary people have had. And for me to get to participate and like support you guys is like so exciting. I feel like kind of nervous. I don't want to screw it up because that's like my one chance to do a good job for the row show. And I don't know. I just am so excited. So hopefully I won't be too much of a geek while you guys are interviewing me. No, there's there's plenty of space for rowing geekery. Lawrence and I are massive nerds on the show. And thank you for your, your very kind words. And yeah, I think uh, it's going to be amazing. We love sharing the stories of all the athletes out there. And, you know, with four Olympic cycles under your belt, we're really keen to chat about the, the amazing career you've had so far. But I think... To start off, I think uh, it would be fantastic just to chat about your your beginnings in the sport and you know how how you found yourself uh, sitting in a rowing boat and and where where the the beginnings of your you know where, of your rowing dream where did they start? My rowing dream. Well, I don't know that I ever really had a rowing dream until I was sort of already doing it. Um, I grew up in rural Wisconsin. So for people who are not from uh, the U.S., that's sort of a flyover state that's near Canada and the Great Lakes. Um, I was from a very small town of about 2,000 people. We got our first stoplight like when I was graduating from high school, and that was like pretty big news in my town. Um, My dream school was the University of Washington, not because I wanted to go there to row, Um, but because it was in Seattle, which I envisioned being like this very big and beautiful, diverse place that was going to be full of different experiences and people and kinds of people than I had grown up with. And I wasn't so interested in going to college with like all the same people that I had gone to high school with. So that was my, my dream. That was what I wanted to do was go to the university of Washington and like be this hippie liberal in in Seattle and and live my best life out there as a 19 year old. So um, I did that. And then, yeah, my first year at school, I was just a regular student, just going to class. I had a job, um, partied a lot, gained a lot of weight. It was like a pretty classic American sort of freshman year experience. Mm -hmm. Um, And then met some women in my dorm who were on the rowing team. Um, They were all kind of always hanging out together. They all kind of looked like me, like they were all very tall and athletic and kind of outgoing and seemed like they were always having fun with each other. And I found out sort of through them that you could actually walk on to the rowing team at the University of Washington, um, which to me was like, uh, you can just like show up and be a D1 athlete. That's kind of a weird thing, but maybe I could do that. Um, because I really missed being athletic and I didn't enjoy being overweight. And yeah, that was kind of how I ended up there. And it was just so different. And that was sort of part of the reason that I had gone to Seattle was to just like do very different things from what I had done growing up. Um, I was a three season, uh, athlete in, in high school. I did cross country, softball and basketball. Um, all of those are really pretty different from rowing with the exception of running, right. Which I actually hated actually hated cross country. I only did it to get in shape for basketball. Um, but yeah, I just went to the informational meeting as my, as, as a sophomore and they were like, Oh, rowing is so cool. And you're going to be a champion and you're going to get so fit. You're going to be in the best shape of your whole life. And you're going to make these great friends. And I was like, sure. Okay. So yeah, they taught me how to row and I thought about quitting during winter training of my freshman year because I was like, this is terrible. I was not a a morning person. So like getting up to do, you know, 1250 repeats on the erg in February 
when it was dark outside, I was like, no, like this, I don't like this, but um, it's something that actually blows my mind. Like <laughs> when I look at American training, like European training and winter just looks so, so awful to be like an Aurora and having to like get on the erg and it's dark and snowing outside the lakes frozen. Like we do a few <laughs> weeks of like cold rowing in like, you know, every now and then if we up on in our mountain training venue, then it's like, it does get a little chilly and it's so awful. Like I can't handle the cold and the dark. Yeah. <laughs> it's not even near what you guys are experiencing at all. Yeah. Well, now that I've, you know, put many years in of cold weather training, I'm based in San Diego now and training here. And it gets probably into the 40s in the morning, but as soon as the sun comes up, it's really pretty lovely out on the bay. And I'm just like, I can't, I can't go back to rowing in 30 degrees and pogies and stuff like that. Like, no, I, I, I'm not going to do it at this point. It's so miserable. But all things considered, rowing in the winter in Seattle, even as a young person who doesn't have any experience with rowing and no expectations, it was okay. There are definitely some cold, wet, yucky days um, out on the lake, but. Um, yeah, I ended up sticking it out. I had a volunteer coach who was really supportive, you know, when I was like, "Ugh, this is such a drag. And she's like, no, I should stick it out and like go race in the spring and see what that's about. So um, I did that. I was the last person to make our novice eight that year. I rode in the three seats. So you can imagine about what my skill <laughs> level must have been like if I was hammering and in the three seat. Um, but you know, my novice coach, I think just saw that I had maybe some potential and gave me a shot in that seat. And, um, yeah, I got to race and I was like, Oh, this is way more fun than winter training and probably worth it. So, um, <laughs> decided to stick around and finish my, my career at Washington ended up being, you know, a captain. And I did, um, one year on my under 23s was 2005. So that would have been after my third year of rowing in college. Um, and I really did that not with the expectation of like going to win multiple gold medals, which is sort of the American expectation now. If you're taking a year uh, during college to row on the under 23 team, it's really that you go to challenge for medals. We were just like, I don't know, this very scrappy group. It was the first year that they were um, moving from the Nations Cup format to uh, an official under 23 worlds. Mm. And I, we just had no idea what we were doing. We were so terrible. I really tried to quit actually doing that, uh, that <laughs> camp that summer. Like we got, we got to our pre-camp in Princeton before we were going to go to Amsterdam. And I was just so, <laughs> so frustrated with our four. I, after one of our practices, like, cause we were training sort of side by side with the, the senior team at that point, it was like so embarrassing that we couldn't roll with our blades off the water. And I, I talked to my coach. I was like, I quit. I'm not doing this. I do not want to go to Amsterdam. I do not want to row in this boat. And she was like, you can't quit. We're leaving tomorrow. You're getting on that plane. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to Amsterdam. And then it ended up being fine because I had a, a fabulous time in Amsterdam. Yeah. And I was like, I guess that was the first time I learned that rowing does not have to look good or feel good to be fast. And that's uh, maybe not everyone would agree with me, but that it, it ended up... I working out that way <laughs> I, I think it's it's definitely a, a a factor i think it does not need to look good or feel good for for speed to be there but i want to so we, we 10 minutes in we've spoken about what a year uh, you know three years of your rowing career and you already try to quit you know three or four times so you don't think that, <laughs> no. that 
That was I know, I know. At the beginning, like, you know what, maybe rowing, this Mine's is not. someone else, actually. You know, oh, it's, <laughs> it's a few people that we, have, that we have on the show that just talk about, oh, Lord, they want to quit all the time. Um, yeah. I think my best was Adam Creek. <laughs> Adam Creek said he wants to quit every day. <laughs> <laughs> every day for like four years and then, uh, um, yeah so really really funny and then there's two points though that i want to touch on there so you you spoke about like the the novice coach like seeing something uh you know mm. in you and putting you in the boat and it actually it must be such a rewarding thing as a as a coach like a novice coach to like get someone in that like picks up the because i think in general most people they row and they're not super coordinated and they you know they bash up and down and they, they don't get that much better over the the season whereas i think like every now and then you get someone that really does well and like can progress quite quickly through the sport i think that must be such a rewarding thing as a coach to like just find someone that has never rode and then by like you know pretty quickly they, they're pretty good at rowing so that must have been pretty awesome piece for that coach and then my last one was like you said, you were you were captain, and what I want to know is like, how did that add value to your like rowing career? Is like being part of more than just like you're in a good crew, but you're also like part of the leadership team of uh, for your team. So there's a an interesting leadership structure for the athletes that row at the University of Washington. There's um, a group of officers that get elected at the beginning of the season, and those are sort of the people that handle stuff throughout the year. Uh, we have a Commodore and uh, a skipper and a logger and those people sort of handle different aspects on the team, social stuff and, and record keeping. And uh, the Commodore is sort of like the leader that sort of oversees athlete leadership um, between the athletes and the coach kind of throughout the year. The captain is someone that gets elected for racing season. So there's a little bit of a delineation between those two roles I don't know why. It's just sort of how it's always been there. Um, and the captain is usually somebody, they don't necessarily have to be as well equipped socially, which I certainly wasn't, to handle like conflict resolution and things like that on the team, at least certainly not at that point in my career. I was kind of uh, a difficult person and very stubborn and... Um, kind of standoffish, not super approachable to my other teammates. Um, I would not have made a good Commodore, but as a captain, I was someone that was, you oh, know. Those are perfect qualities work- for a captain. Yeah, it, reminds me, <laughs> it reminds me of someone else that I know very well. <laughs> um, <sighs> the captain was usually someone who was one of the top performers on the team. So whether it was, you know, physiologically on the erg or winning everything in the pairs or a combination of those things, um, a lot of times, at least while I was there, that was sort of the captain's role. And they were oftentimes the person that would be given sort of like the opportunities to do the interviews with, you know, post-race uh, journalists and stuff like that. Um, yeah, that was sort of the captain's role. I think there were some leadership components to it, but the more touchy-feely kind of social stuff was more kind of the class officers and then the captain was sort of like an adjunct late in the season. So we, um, our, our yeah. structure is very similar. It's just classic America to just kind of spice it up with the little name changes. So we got a chairman is basically the, the same in charge of the like the team and like the, the, the entire club, like running running the show kind of thing. Then 
you have the captains and then you've got like more the admin people or what else do we have? Treasurer. Yeah, I just remember from my time rowing at university, first time I managed to get on the little committee, leadership committee, Lawrence was the captain, I was the vice captain. And that year we almost got the Tux Club expelled from rowing in South Africa. Oh, perfect. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we're going to we're not going to go into details because... <laughs> oh, wait, I thought we were supposed to tell spicy stories. Is this an opportunity for a spicy I'll, story I'll or not? Say- I'll just say that at the South Africa's boat race, um, we there's like the leading up is a whole kind of week event. And then like you have your heats on a Thursday and then we have like a big dinner where all the varsities go to on Friday. And like it's quite a, I would say a rowdy banterish affair there uh-huh. at the varsities because like there's a lot of... Um, a lot of like songs get sung and I think what's, what used to happen? There was like a whole yeah. thing that used to happen. And then everyone gets a chance to sing like their varsity song or something. And you know, it's, uh, can get a little bit, yeah. uh, colorful. We chose a more offensive song. We chose In hindsight. It was, it terrible, was a terrible idea. Terrible, terrible decision. Terrible on decision. Side, but yeah, we did a cover of a South Park song and, uh, we got into some trouble <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was, uh, Thankfully, we managed to de-escalate the situation, but I just remember you thinking... I was like, for singing South Park. Yeah, look, I'm not going to say the lyrics out of context. In, in the moment, it felt really funny. In the moment, it was really funny. And then when we were sitting at the like dean's office and the like principal of the varsity they was quoted the reading out of out context, the, reading out of out context. The lyrics, it was much, worse. much, much worse. Oh, so, no. Yeah, not our proudest moment. Not our proudest moment. I just remember thinking, how am I going to go to my mother and tell her that I am on, I forgot a chance of getting expelled from university. <laughs> no, oh, it God. wasn't that bad, Jake. No, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. But anyway, these, uh, these things happen. Yeah. Well, I can't say that being captain led me to dabble in, you know, suspension or expulsion. Um, but, it, you know, it is an elected position uh, at Washington. You get chosen by your peers for that. Um, so that was really meaningful that, you know, that my teammates recognized that uh, even though I wasn't the warmest and fuzziest person at the boathouse, that um, they could count on me to, to work really hard and, and lead that way. Yeah, so. it's definitely, you know, as someone that's been, you know, involved in, in rowing for a, uh, some time, it's like you get into situations where I often like you don't need to be like warm and fuzzy. And, and I think oftentimes you don't want to sort of avoid the the difficult uh, narratives and boats and in situations. I've always found from experience that as soon as you start avoiding difficult conversations or tricky topics or those sort of things, it, it typically detracts from the rowing. And at the end of the day, I always find in a team environment, you always want to be bring out the best um, out of yourselves and out of the people fr- from the fact that you need a race with them and you need to win. So you sort of need to you bring out the best. And sometimes I find people are their best when they have that, maybe uh, when they are, let's say, aggressive or stubborn or, um, you know, from from that kind of point of view. And it's so understanding of you, Jake. So understanding. And it comes from rowing with some people. I'm not pointing any fingers. But, yeah, anyway, so going back to your under-23s, winning – Winning under twenty threes, I think, is is quite a big, um, quite a big starting off point from like a sort of elitish level rowing. 
how did the perspective change once you came home after that gold medal performance at under 23s? Because it must have been a huge mindset shift from like yeah. you were talking about the pre-camp yeah. to to afterwards. And and did that change your your uh, let's say did that change what you you saw from rowing after that under 23 campaign? Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of like phases that I went through with this under 23 process because I, I did not know that under 23 was a, th- was a thing. Um, you know, I was a true novice walk on and just sort of barely had an idea of what like elite rowing even was only because we'd had um, some recent alums that had raced in Athens, which um, was very recent or like during my, my time in school. And so I sort of knew that you could row in the Olympics, but I didn't know like what the pathway was um, to get there or like how good you had to be to do it or anything like that. Just that people who had rowed at my school had gone and raced in Athens and won some medals. And that was like very cool. And everyone was very excited about it. Um, So my coach recommended that I do it. And I was like, I don't even know what that is. What are you talking about? And she's like, oh, all you got to do is like break seven minutes on your ERG test and you can get invited and go. And I was like, oh, well, that sounds pretty hard. I haven't done that yet. But, you know, it kind of gave me a, a reason more than just like, oh, it would be nice to break seven minutes on this ERG because it's about time that I do that. If I do it, I could go to this camp and then have the opportunity to row with people who, in my mind, I was like, these are all going to be people who are better than me. It's all going to be people who are, you know, uh, people who were recruited to row in college and uh, rowed as juniors or rowed on the junior team. So have all this experience and I might get to row with them. And that would be awesome. Like that would be a great way for me to develop, even if I don't make the team, which I didn't think that I would. Um, So she kind of set that up for me to knock out of the park, which I did. And that, that erg test that I had to kind of break seven on in order to submit my score for that was truly one of like my most epic rowing memories because our boathouse was um, not, we didn't have a boathouse at that time. It was under construction. So I was erg testing in a gym and uh, I had to, to take the test by myself because I was a Latin major and all of my upper level Latin classes were in the afternoons, which is when the rest of the team is going to be testing. So I got to get there and test in the gymnasium by myself with my coach. She came to Proctor for me. So I turned on uh, Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction to warm up to. So I was listening to some Axel in the morning with my coach, Eleanor. And Jeez, that was definitely, I mean, it was done already. You could have written your down there. <laughs> and, you know, the, the goal was just to break seven minutes. And, you know, I just sat there and she was like right behind me and basically held on to my erg rail the entire time because on a gymnasium floor it was kind of slippery and I was yeah. super smooth uh, athlete, not super slick at that point. Um, and I, I ended up breaking seven minutes by like 0.4 or something like that. You know, I went like 659 point something six or something like that. And so I got my invitation. And so like that sort of launched that where I was like, okay, I'm good enough to go to this camp. And then I got there and the camp was super small and like full of these kind of goofy athletes, some of whom were like the athletes I was imagining they were going to be and some of whom really were not people from super small programs or like who also had been walk-ons and not a lot of them had pair experience, uh, which was pretty interesting for me because we only row pairs at the university Mm. of Washington, like from basically your sophomore year on, it's like pairs all the time. And they were 
none of them had toes. And, you know, the University of Washington is based on, on Lake Washington and Lake Union, which is like a very active waterway. There's industrial traffic and commercial traffic, and you just have to like sink or swim, basically. So I was pretty proficient mm-hmm. in the pairs in that respect, and a lot of these other athletes weren't. So I just went basically straight to the top of the camp uh, because of my pair rowing and made the team and then went and was frustrated during the process, even though I was rowing with really good athletes. I was rowing with Aaron Gofaro, who would go on to be you know, a two-time Olympic gold medalist, uh, Stacia Carlet, who I'd row with on multiple national teams and, and win a medal with later on in my career, um, and Catherine Starr, who did a little bit of national team stuff, and now she's a fantastic uh, coach here in the U.S. She's coaching uh, some juniors over on the East Coast. Um, you know, like a great group of people, and they really just kind of allowed me to gain some confidence in myself to the point where I was probably a little too confident coming back because we did win and I wasn't expecting it. And then I was probably even more intolerable when I got back to the University of Washington, actually, because I thought I knew a lot more and that I was really fast and like really good, especially compared to like everyone in the world, because I was a world champion, right? And so I think for at least the beginning of my senior year, or like my fifth year at Washington, I was probably pretty insufferable. Um, but what it did do is allow me to think past um, what rowing in college could be and what I might be able to do next. Um, it definitely got me excited about wanting to row at the senior level and continuing to train after college, which before under 23 camp, I had not considered at all. I was not like, Oh, I could be an Olympian or I could be, you know, a world team member. Um, Cause I, again, I didn't really know what the pathway was at that point. Um, but, you know, getting on the podium with your friends and seeing your flag go up and getting a medal, I feel like you're like, damn, this is awesome. I want to do this yeah. a lot more. And yeah, so I must that- say that. <laughs> that feeling of the podium is is something that's outrageous that like it's so addictive and i think it drives a lot of people to to keep coming back keep coming back um yeah really on a side note just a really funny story because you mentioned that that ergo test on your own and i think there's not a single rower out there that's that's listening to this or ever been on an erg that doesn't know the feeling of that erg sliding around on the floor when it's too slippery yeah. and you, you, you try to do something hard and then suddenly it just starts slipping around. It's just the most frustrating that's thing funny. ever. So that's yeah, really funny. That exactly and, Thank God she was there. I mean, she was literally sitting on the floor behind me, like holding on to the rail with both hands so that my, my erg wouldn't slide away. Oh, um, no, it's so painful. Like, we had breathing, like breathing down my neck while I was trying to do this, like, you know, yeah. milestone. And, even if you just look at like people's Instagrams or something when they're on the erg, there's like gym weights or there's something holding the erg yeah. or there's always something the, the erg needs a, it needs a, a look at its feet there and how it's uh, attached to the towels. But then yeah. on, the, on another note though, so um, it, I had a super similar story when, so at school when I broke seven, I also had missed the, the ergo trial for, I don't know, some other reason I can't remember, but the, the coach had like said, no, I had to do the ergo trial, like kind of making me like, you just do it just because, but I was doing it. I, I was going to do it at home on my own. And then I did it and I went under, I must've been like under 16. Uh, so I must've been like 15, 16 or 17 years old. And then I broke seven 
and I told him, and he didn't believe me. He was like, you did this by yourself. And I also think I went, I scraped under like 6.59. And then he made me do it again, like the next day. Oh, yeah. He was like, no, you lied to me. So now you do it again. And you did it. And then I went like way under. So it was, it was pretty cool. I felt like a boss. Oh, That's well, he knew what he was doing then. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, shit, that's, that's hilarious. <laughs> anyway, um, what's interesting about this is that you obviously went to the under twenty threes, and then there's there's a bit of a, a bit of a gap, and then straight back in two thousand and eight, you you found yourself in the double, and you went to your first Olympic Games in Beijing. Um, and I must say, like it's it's quite. Uh, quite massive steps going from, you know, walk on university winning under 23s. And then the, the, obviously there's a bit of, you know, you got to fill us in just now what was happening in between there, but then there's another, <laughs> the next time you're rowing or uh, at world rowing, it's senior level Olympic boat class going to the Olympic yeah. games and, and successfully racing in the A final coming away with the fifth position. So, I mean, what an incredible like progression um, up until that point. And, your first Olympic experience in Beijing, it was a massive games. And yeah, I mean, it must have been incredible for you to, to have that experience. Yeah. So those years after um, graduation and between uh, graduation and Beijing were, I mean, they were tough, right? Because that's when you really get a big perspective shift and an ego check and all of those things that come along with kind of entering senior training for the first time. Um you know, I, I got to Princeton after I graduated in 2006 and was like, I am very good. I don't know uh, if the team is ready for me, but I am really good at rowing. I've won under 23s and I'm like the best person at the University of Washington. Mm. So this is going to be like no problem. And obviously that was not like that was not reality. I was not not ready. I did not have like the, the scope or the perspective to understand like how much work I actually needed to do to get up to speed to people who were like actually good at rowing. Cause I was not there yet. Um, and I, I did figure that out quickly. It didn't take me very long. It made me, you know, a couple of days or a couple of weeks at the very most to be like, Oh, like there's a reason that I'm not getting a seat race for the team this year. Um, but that's fine. And it was an important like step to take down um, in order to kind of check myself and then understand like how big the task was going to be to get myself from where I was to where I needed to be in order to be competitive for like a seat race or a shot at a boat. Um, so 2006 was still sweeping uh, that summer because um, I was in the, the four camp and did not get a look for the four camp, but it was still a good experience. Um, but then pretty much after that summer, it was into the sculling boats. Um, the sweep group was doing really pretty well. They had a good group there um, and were definitely trending in the right direction because 2006 was that first year that the eight started that incredible run of 11 in a row. So I was coming in right as that group was really solidifying and and kind of creating that nucleus of the the group of women who is going to continue to like propel the sweep group uh, on that upward trajectory. Um, but there was still a lot of uh, potential and opportunity on the sculling side. 
Um, I probably was not ready. I was, I definitely didn't have the physical gifts because I wasn't big enough and my erg wasn't developed enough yet to be competitive in the sweep group at that time. But the opportunity in the sculling group was actually massive because there just was not the same number of people who were sculling at that time who had the physiology or the size or the experience or what have you to make the sculling boats consistently really good. There was a group of us that came in and the coaches were like, okay, sweep group is like, pretty good without you guys. We don't like really need your help right now, but let's get you sculling and see if you can make an impact like on that side of things. So did a lot of sculling in 2006 in the fall and then all of 2007, missed out on the quad in 2007 um, pretty narrowly. I was like the last person to lose the last seat race for the last seat. So I was close um, but clearly not quite ready. So missed out on Munich in 2007, but then, yeah, was basically setting myself up to continue training and hopefully challenge for a seat in 2008. Um, I was, and then, oh, so, go ahead. So I'm just going to jump in. So in that, so like, is it quite a, was it quite a difficult like learning curve or like, did you, how you must've been realizing like how the, the step up from like your under 23 world champion, but you're like still struggling to make that step into like the senior team like you must have been realizing how big that jump was and how like how hectic the the senior team is and how good the the athletes are around you because you you had all the confidence from coming off under 23s and then making that step you know just kind of being on that in that those uh, uh selection battles must have been such an eye-opener yeah it really was and like i said it was such an exceptional time to come into that group because of mm. the women that already there and kind of establishing yeah. the standards that we're just going to continue to go up like with each year that the eight continued to win it just got the stakes got higher and higher and higher and it just became more and more competitive to to get a seat in that boat that uh, it it was like there's I, I don't know that I could have trained hard enough to get traction to jump into that group during that time um, I was just going to need more time to to develop my physiology and and my skills in order to kind of crack into that that group. Um, but luckily, I felt like I was able to wrap my head around the fact that I wasn't good enough. Once I realized that, I was like, oh, okay, like these guys are so much better than me, and I'm really not there. My coaches also helped me to understand just by like being very honest with me, be like, you are not ready. Like you don't have the experience, you don't have the skills, you don't have the physiology yet, but if you work, that stuff will come. And they were just very, very straightforward about that. And like, we're like, we're here to help you get there, but it's just going to take time. So if you're willing to put in the time, like, great, it'll be there. Um, it's just not there today. And that was really meaningful. And it was basically just setting me up to be like, yes, I accept. I'm going to put in like a couple of years of work and see where it lands me or like, no, I'll move on and do something else. So obviously I chose to try to do the work. But it's pretty, I mean, it's amazing though, because you've only been rowing for like a few years. So like to be battling at that level, I mean, everyone must have been pretty impressed at that stage. Uh, I don't think I impressed anyone really in Princeton. <laughs> Uh, but luckily I had such a cool group of people that I came in with at the same time, like that, that little class of people that came in like 2006, 2007, um, where we were all sort of tossed into the, we felt like we were being sort of tossed aside, right? Because everything was just like spotlight on the eight all the time, starting at that point, really. And sculling was very much like this sort of 
secondary kind of forgotten discipline that nobody really cared about or paid attention to. And, you know, we all wanted to do something like we were like, why can't we be as good as those guys? Or why can't we start winning medals in sculling boats? Because really we weren't at that time. Like the double was the American double was kind of crap and the American quad was kind of crap. And um, thank God we had Michelle Garrett at that time. So she was like the shining star, you know, rowing the single at that point, but we just didn't have that same kind of um, group of talent in the sculling side. Um, but we still wanted to work really hard to try and kind of start to build that because it was going to take some time to do it. Uh, 2008, like I say all the time, mostly it was luck that I ended up making that combination with Ellen work in the double. Um, because in terms of like the doubles matrices and for sure the single, no, like I was never going to get selected to the team based on my singles results. Terrible single sculler, still pretty crap single sculler. Um, but for whatever reason, she and I hopped in the double and I still, this is another one of these things that I don't remember a lot of things from my rowing career, but this is one thing that I do remember so clearly is getting in the boat with her for the first time in Chula Vista. We hopped in and just like straight off the dock, it was like, Phew. and it was one of those feelings where I was like, what have I been doing with everyone else? And like, why has it been not like this? Because this is amazing. And <laughs> Like, it was great. You know, I've used the, the phrase like love at first stroke because that's sort of how it felt. It was so light and elastic and springy and athletic. And the speed was so good and like effortless. And I was like, wow, this is so different. And so I really like it. <laughs> is this something that happens like quite a lot on the show? Like where people speak about like they just get in boats and they – certain boats work and some boats don't work and you know like they get that it just clicks kind of thing and and the boat feels good and and it goes really well is there like now that you're like looking back over over a longer period of time is there something that you can like put your finger on and be like oh it was like the the way we rode the stroke together or you know is there an element you think that like made that boat click or is it just kind of an intangible piece that just that some crew uh, combinations have? I think a lot of what made Ellen and I successful together was how similar we were. You know, she and I were really in pretty identical places in our careers. Uh, we were still really pretty young, um, definitely both very anaerobic athletes, so super powerful, not a lot of uh, aerobic fitness yet. So we did rely a lot on power in our stroke. So it was very kind of poppy off the front end, like probably short would be a good way to describe it, but just super like wicked amounts of power for the size that we both were. Um, Cause she's about the same size as me. She's about 5'10", 160, 165. So just like power to weight for both of us was just like very, very high. And like we had both learned to skull it at the same time. So we were probably both around the same point, like developmental wise with our skill and our technique. She was always a better sculler than me, still is a better sculler than me. Um, so having her in the stroke seat just allowed me to just like learn from her since she was a little bit ahead of me, maybe in that point. Um, but she was also just a great stroke and that was, it was just a, yeah, that the rest of it, I think is just intangible besides being sort of very similar physically and developmentally. Um, we just got very lucky, I think. Um, and then I had been shit 
pretty much everyone else. I was at the bottom, really. Uh, with and then was my- the was that was the double already qualified from the two thousand and seven World Champs? Because mm-hmm. obviously yes. you don't have to do late qualification or anything. Was there someone else that missed out, or was it? Uh, how did that uh, selection go there? So, yeah, I mean, we'd been doing, you know, selection uh, on the erg, on the water with the group. And the the group that was the sculling group was actually quite big at that point. I think we had 14 or 15 people that were all kind of working for those spots. Um, and the erg numbers for me in inside the sculling group were actually OK. Um, not amazing, but OK. Uh, so I was still getting some opportunities, but not necessarily rowing with the top people who were getting the best results on the water. I was therefore really kind of at the bottom of the, the doubles ladder, I guess, um, not doing super well on the water with the people that I've been rowing with until I started rowing with Ellen. And then she and I just smoked everyone. And it was sort of this inexplicable, like head scratching thing. Like, why is this person who's doing so poorly all of a sudden, like killing everyone. So, <laughs> and so you know, she and I talked about it and we were like, well, let's try it, you know, like let's, let's race it at the NSR and, and see what happens. And, you know, we, we crushed it. And so the coaches were kind of like, well, huh, what do we do about this? Like, do we let these two athletes who have like literally no pedigree get into this boat? That's like a, a really cutthroat boat class. Um, there were some very, very good crews and good people racing in that event, super high quality, high level rowing at that stage in the quad, like, do we, do we throw who are now, or we guess our top two people into this, this event, or do we hang on to them and try and get them in the quad and see if we can do something in the quad. And yeah, yeah, Ellen and I just decided after kind of the result that we saw at the NSR, we won by, you know, open water in the double over people that we probably really should had no business beating we're like, let's do the double. The double super fun. Seems like it's going really well. We're so fast. Like, let's go race the Everswindles and see how that goes. I'm sure it'll go great. Um, and so we did. Like, we they they were like, okay, if you guys want to roll the double, like, holy shit, your first race can't be Beijing. So like, please go race some World Cups. And so we did that and learned a lot really pretty quickly. And yeah, that, that's pretty much how it went. We just decided we. We wanted to stick with the double instead of rolling the dice on the quad. And I, I really love this conversation because it, it does speak a lot to the, I think the, you know, the the abstract allure of rowing. And you find that a lot. I think, uh, you know, Lawrence mentioned a bit about it earlier is that sometimes there's a synergy that you can't really put your finger on it. That, uh, you know, mm-hmm. the crew gets together and there's something about them that's outside the realm of data and technicality that makes that boat move really fast. And I think all of us on our rowing careers and journeys, I think that's part of the, of the bite that keeps us coming back is always that's a bit of magic that you find rowing with different crews and different combinations. And then continuing on to Beijing, I mean, you, you mentioned it. I mean, getting a chance to race the Everson Dwells um, in the double skulls, racing against some really, you know, uh, top top competition and making your way into that A final. What an experience! And finishing finishing Beijing, you must have been really proud with what uh, you and Ellen accomplished in the time you spent together. Kind of sort of jumping in the double 
having a fantastic, you know, love at first stroke and then going on to, you know, performing at, at the stage that a lot of rowers um, spend a lot of time trying to get to. And it must have been, yeah, it must be an incredible feeling finishing off Beijing with that, uh, with that race in the A final. I mean, yes and no. Part of the reason that we even ended up where we were was just because we were we were very cocky, right? Like there's no reason that two athletes who have never raced that event before should go and try to race it for the first time in the Olympics. Like that's insane. And especially against, um, like I said, these, some of these really pedigreed crews, like the the New Zealand double, the Chinese double was actually like, red hot at that point it was really kind of a surprise that they finished out of the medals um and then that epic finish between the two boats on the far side the german boat and the the british boat um all of those guys like so good so fast so experienced like so slick and just like awesome awesome athletes and we were like not even close to the medals you know like we were I don't remember what the margin was, but it was like not a close fifth. It was like a distant fifth, like one, two, three, four were up here. And like, we were back here. Um, but the fact that we even wanted to give it a shot, I think just spoke a lot to how inexperienced we were and how like young and vigorous and excited and, and open-minded and all of that, that we were. So I think actually coming back to the doc, we weren't excited. We were like, well, why did we lose? Um, or why were we not closer? because we just didn't have that perspective um, to think about that. And like our coaches, I don't think were terribly disappointed. They seemed happy to see us when we got back to the dock. And the first thing Tom said to us as we were taking our oars out was like, you guys aren't even fit yet. It's sort of like, imagine what you could do or what the potential might be once you guys get some more training in. And I think Ellen and I both knew like before we got back to the dock that we were going to continue on at that point that we wanted to train for London and, and see what would happen. And I, I do really think at that point that the goal was to train together for the double for London. Like that was the plan from Beijing. Like there was, we didn't even really have to have a conversation about it. Um, that obviously went off the rails pretty quickly, but um, mm. yeah. I don't know. It was, it was maybe not as, as, uh, immediately. Wow. Like I'm so proud of what I did. Uh, as you might think it has definitely taken me a little time to put it kind of in perspective. Like you're saying like young people like that, making an a final and, and getting to race against those crews being like pretty, pretty okay. Like a pretty good place to start for sure. Yeah. Not, not too bad. And it's, it's funny how these things start. I think there's, there's always that that jumping off point, and I think the fact that you had that sort of uh, attitude towards your racing in Beijing kind of like speaks volumes for the kind of uh, for the caliber of athlete that you probably were at that stage. You really, um, even though you're racing at the Olympics, there was this desire to once more. And I think the continuation onto London, um, you know, I'm interested to hear how that developed as you became a more seasoned and confident rower. Um, and yeah, I mean, the racing looked like the racing started ramping up quite a bit. You started, uh, seems like you were doubling up in the double in the quad. That seems like it, it took a while. It took a while to kind of resolve what the, the boat was going to be going forward. But I mean, getting, landing up on a couple podiums in that next, uh, Olympic cycle and racing. I mean, there were a lot of highlights. I think your first silver, your silver men in 2011 qualifying for the Olympic games and, and winning 
the silver medal in the quad, that must have been very special. And then obviously, you know, London was an incredible year. But I think to start off with, give us a little bit of context on the the build the build up into that that quad that eventually managed to qualify in in 2011. Oh, yeah. So this is some of the stuff that I was mentioning earlier that is probably going to be blurred out a little bit, Um, but I'll do my best. Uh, In 2009, (laughs) Ellen and I were like very, very keen to get back into the double together and just like keep going. Um, We're like, we love the double. We're fast. We're going to be super good if we keep training together. These, you know, the, the small boats that we lost to are combinations that train together for a long time. Let's do what they did and like stay together and, and build this combination together. Um, and we almost got there. Ellen had some pretty serious chronic injury stuff that was just kept coming up and kept coming up. Um, and we didn't really make it through 2009 without that being a huge factor. Um, we ended up getting selected to the double again in 2009. There was some other stuff that was going on, uh, (laughs) cause we actually didn't, ever planned to row in the quad in 2009 at all. Like the doubling up uh, from the outside looks like uh, maybe it was intentional. It really wasn't. It was um, kind of like a plan C or plan D. Uh, Cause actually there had been some stuff that had happened before we left for Lucerne. Um, the coaches got mad at me for um, this is after Ellen and I were selected to the double they got mad at me because there was a day that Ellen uh, and I were going out to do pieces with the team and her back spasmed. So they sent us in and Laurel gave me an erg workout to do on the erg. And it, which is, it was two by six K. She was like, all right, go in and do two by six K. And I was like, do it, do two by six K. We just did two by six K like two days ago. And I was like, well, what if I just do, because I was going to be by myself. It was just me that was going to be in the erg room. It's like, what if I just do the pieces that we were supposed to do on the water, which was 2K. So it was going to be 4 by 2K. So I was like, well, I'd really rather do the 4 by 2K because we just did 2 by 6K literally like two days ago. And I feel like I could do the 2Ks and then I'm like staying on track with the rest of the team. And this is going to be a more meaningful workout and all this kind of stuff. So I did the 2Ks. The workout went great. She came in, she saw that I did the 2Ks instead of 2 by 6K, and she was so mad. She was really mad at me. And uh, it ended up that the two of them decided that they were going to let me go from the training center, that they were going to cut me from the team for doing this. And that if Ellen wanted (laughs) wanted to stay with me and stay in the double with me, that she was also going to have to leave, like that we were both going to be cut. So um, we ended up training separately from the group for a little while. And Tom was like, okay, you know, this is, this is it for you guys, but why don't you stay and train through Lucerne? And then after that, you guys are on your own. You have to go somewhere else and train. So we were like, cool. Uh, okay. We'll figure this out. So we went on the trip. We started at Henley, um, race the singles at Henley, which is super funny uh, because I'm, like I said, I'm a terrible single scholar and I drew Jevy Stone like for my first round. So that didn't go very well. And yeah, I was out immediately. That's a tough one. And so uh, that didn't go that well, but it did set us up so well for for Lucerne, I thought, actually. So we get over there and we're going to race the double and, you know, we're sort of in exile or whatever. And the coaches are still mad at us. And um, the (laughs) a bunch of athletes on our team ended up getting swine flu. This was a thing in 2009 that was going around. Swine flu was like this global (laughs) issue. I remember that. And so we had... 
Yeah. So we had a bunch of athletes go out with swine flu and Ellen and I were like, you know, focusing on the double, like tunnel vision, you know, we're not part of the team anymore kind of thing. And then, uh, Ellen, (laughs) Ellen sits me down in the hotel room one day. Uh, and she's like, okay, I need to talk to you. Laurel is going to come to our room in about five minutes and she's going to ask you a question. And before you say anything, I want you just to think and relax and not have a knee jerk reaction and just listen to what she has to say. So the coaches come to the room and they ask us if we would be willing to double up into the quad so that the quad can race at Lucerne because they've had to shuffle people around and pull people out of the quad and put them in the aid and all this other stuff. And she, I mean, Ellen was totally right. Cause at first I was like, no way I'm not doubling up in the quad after they've kicked us out of camp. This is so dumb. And how dare they ask us and all. And she was like, no, what if, what if we just do this and then maybe we can go back to camp. And I was like, Ugh, Ellen, you're probably right. So, you know, we just like kind of put that on the back burner because the focus was still going to be the double. Uh, We needed to, you know, hit our qualification standard at the world cup in order to be named to the world championship team in the double, which was the goal. Um, And the double race was before the quad. So we really didn't have anything to lose by doing the quad, but that was how we ended up, ended up racing the quad. And as icing on the cake for me, we won the double in Lucerne, which I don't think has ever been done before or after uh, by an American double. So I was just like, eh. <laughs> this yeah, is sure. pretty good. And I was, I was pretty happy with the way things went. And like, if you go back and watch the quad race, we almost won the quad too. Like we lost it in the last you know, 10 strokes. Maybe it was extremely close for no good reason at all. Like there's no reason that boat should have been fast. We didn't row that combination once. We, we, for the regatta, we got in before the quad race, rode up and down in the warm up area, and then raced. And then we came away with a silver in that boat. So there was no looking back at the quad for Ellen and me at that point. That was purely coincidental. And we did end up getting invited back to camp on a probationary. Uh, I hope you, that's, I hope you got invited. I must say, it's quite a harsh, it's quite a harsh um, reaction from the coaches. I mean, if if our coaches were were like that, Jake would have been kicked out like Yo, first week. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, you guys have you, know, you talk about it a lot. You guys have a small group of athletes that you're working with, and that was not the case with Tom and Laurel. They had a really good uh, feeder system and most athletes were pretty replaceable, including me. Yeah. I think it's obviously, it's a difficult, <laughs> difficult to navigate as, um, as I'm sure, you know, you, 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 you found out that year, but like, I feel like you've done that, Jake. What have I done? You've done that. You've like, the, Roger's been like, Jake, get off. You're going onto the Ergs. I've done do two, six Ks. Meanwhile, Jake's like, screw that. I'm going to do power strokes. <laughs> no, I never did that. I never did that. But I, at one stage, I was like, I don't understand why I have to do two 6Ks when I can just do the whole session's mileage in one go without stopping. Oh, but, yeah, I, I was, uh, I've definitely been known for my rebellious tendencies. Um, <laughs> Oh, time to well, time. the two by six K workout that she assigned to me is like an AT workout, not like two by six K steady state. It's like 24, yeah. 26, 28, go faster on the second one kind of thing. It's terrible. That workout is so hard. 
the two Ks were also very hard, but just in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's yeah. I think <laughs> There's, there's no getting away from the, the honest work on the ergo, but I think Jake's uh, his other um, uh, chronic um, behavior. behavior would be uh, uh, abusing the rate caps of pieces. Oh no! Shake, you know, his stroke of the boat. So he thinks, you know what? If I just bump it, it's twenty eight. But if I just go up to thirty, you know, who's going to thirty? Not even twenty nine, Jake. Come <laughs> on. Lot. That's a lot. Oh Look, no! Lawrence is speaking. Uh, I'm just saying we both. I might be, you know, guilty of that sometimes, but I'm just saying we're both guilty of that. <laughs> Things okay. happen in the water. You know, I'm not always looking at the stroke coach. You know, if there's oh sure, yeah, one pup extra. It's <laughs> not going to matter too much. Yes, if anyone in the team is listening to this now, they're going to laugh because I shit on oh, people in the team now if they if they overrate anything. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's probably the most contentious uh, topic in our team. Like over all the years I wrote was like rate, so like rate cap pieces, and then people like not sticking like hundred percent to them. That really, really ground people's gears big time. Yeah, no, it still mm-hmm. does. I can tell you that much. Yeah. It still is a uh, us too. Big, believe me. Yeah, it, it, it mm-hmm. is big. Um, it's like you can't even imagine when someone else does it to you, you're like this filth. And then when you do it to them, it's like, oh, but it's like, it's one purpose. It's nothing. And what are you worried about? Yeah. No, uh, it's, oh. I think it's all part of the parcel. I think you can't, you can't get through rowing without a little bit of, uh, a little bit of conflict. Um, it's always a little bit of, it's always healthy for the, for the, for the training environment. But anyway, no, so I want to hear anyway. the rest of the story. I sorry, I want to hear that. Well, so no, so you raced the quad as kind of your penance to get back into the into My the, penance. Yes. the, the Not penance, getting a silver medal and a gold. No, medal no, World Cup three. But and like then, nobody expected us to win a medal. That yeah. was insane. <laughs> so then, so then, obviously, you race back in the double world, world champs, and then the next year again, you're doubling up quad and double, and then it's quad. So what? It, so yeah, finish your your story there on on yeah, how that yeah. all unfolded. Yeah, so, so we got back from Lucerne in 2009, and then Ellen, uh, what did she do? She busted a rib. So then it was mostly single training for me um, through the rest of the summer until. Poznan and then you know we were in Poznan we're rowing the double and then she did her back so it was like this this constant thing uh that we just couldn't catch a break with her body um so we ended up getting six in the double which I think uh, was probably the best that we could do given everything that was going on with her but like man I just I'll have always felt like that was just like a missed opportunity for us. And if we could have just figured out a way to be smarter with her body, that that would have been like a whole different trajectory for us. But after that, um, we were both so disappointed and so bummed by that. And her body just really took a while to, to get sorted out. And she was really struggling to stay healthy, rib stuff, back stuff, uh, all sorts of stuff all over the place. So it became clear to me after we got back from that season uh, and her continuing issues that I was going to really need to like focus kind of on myself instead of on focusing on our project together. And um, the other option was 
for me at that time was going to be not roll the double with someone else because I didn't feel like there was someone that could kind of fill that seat in the same way that she could, um, but probably focus on the quad. I felt like if it wasn't going to be me and Ellen, uh, the metal potential in the double really was not there and that I was going to have a better shot at winning medals if I focused on making the quad better. So um, 2010 and 2011 were really pretty hard, like trying to let go of that that sort of dream, the rowing dream that you mentioned earlier of me and Ellen, you know, us against the world, kind of like just choosing each other and going all the way through and developing that boat together. That was really what we had hoped for. And it really just was sort of um, falling apart. But such important years for me developmentally. This is when I was like getting the fastest that I ever was on the ERG in 2010 and 2011. Uh, my PR is still from that time um, for, for my 2K. God, to see those numbers again would be amazing. But um, yeah, just having to get back into the big boat camp and, and really use the ERG to set myself apart from people um, in addition to continuing to try and develop my skills uh, sculling in the double in particular and the single, but that, like I said, that has really never developed for me. Um, were really important. And I gained a lot of speed and a lot of toughness for sure. Just kind of having to focus on myself instead of on myself as part of a, a, a double. And um, I don't remember that much about selection from 2011. I feel like other people have all these like crazy stories that they remember. I don't, but we ended up in that lineup and I was like, well, I don't know if this lineup's going to be any good. Doesn't seem like it because we had um, me and Natalie, who was back from my 2010 quad, which I was pretty nonplussed on. And then uh, Stacia, who definitely was uh, pretty savvy and, and slick in the sculling group and pretty dependable. And then uh, this new kid, Adrian Martelli, who I was like, oh, God, like she doesn't know how to scull. She's just out of college. Like this isn't going to go that well. And, you know, obviously she was a superstar. Um, and looking back on it now, that lineup is actually probably my favorite lineup that I've ever raced out of all the boats that I've, I ended up in, which was a lot of different quads over the years. That was probably my favorite one. We just had a really good balance of professionalism and fun and being super competitive when we needed to be, but also like being able to communicate with each other in, in a really healthy way and productive way. Um, and what a, what a cool regatta we had in bled. Like not only were we in bled, which is like the best place to row, but we like came kind of out of, I don't want to say out of nowhere because New Zealand was really pretty annoying and frustrating. And, um, Oh, I just hate that season so much, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we really came back from, from that in That's 2011 and had, <laughs> you don't, you're not alone. You're not alone. Yeah. Uh, 2010 is is never a hot topic on our on our on our show. Yeah. What are you talking about? You yeah, I know. I mean, unless no, but uh, I'm uh, I'm saying New Zealand World Champs. Oh, uh, there's a lot of burnt. Yeah, a lot of burnt. Actually, yeah, a lot of Mahi Drysdale. I think <laughs> yeah. so one that comes to mind. I think the French oh won the God. men's four as well. There, French. The French won the men's four. Oh. Oh, there's there was, yeah. there was some. It was a tricky. That was not a, a great World Champs. So Prize, okay. A lot of people, yeah. So. You know, generally, most, especially European uh, crews, they're racing a lot. They're like, you know, they're packing in as many World Cups as they can. They they go into European World Champs. So, and, you know, uh, all of us from far away, 
that's sometimes a little bit more challenging, uh, like getting yeah. to the World Cups and, and racing a little bit more often. And then when we're looking at your results, it's like pretty classic. You're second at uh, World Champs. You have a really good 2011 year in the quad. And then 2012 is not a like super straightforward. You know, you you come to the, the, the second World Cup, finish eighth, not... Like I don't, <laughs> not the not the not the result you won after your your second place no. of world champs, and then no other racing uh, uh, on the world uh, rowing stage until um, until the London Olympics. So it it must have been quite a challenging year, like you know having that one poor result, but then and then having to go straight into the the Olympic Games. Uh, how did you turn that around? What is what's happening there? Yeah, so selection for London, I do remember quite a bit about because that was something that was so impactful and also meaningful, like it just grew a lot during that whole process. Um, so we actually raced two quads at that World Cup. Um, and the other quad, uh, I can't remember exactly the lineup, it might have been Kate and Natalie and Stacia and Adrian, maybe. I mean, they were going like sub world record speed. I think the Germans ended up grabbing the world record and, you know, everyone else that finished in the medals behind them was also under, under former world record speed at that point. And then I was in this other boat and we, you know, we were, didn't even make the A final. We were like not even winning the B final. It was terrible. Um, and that was, there were a lot of things going on. There were a couple people that were not primarily scholars that were in the group. Kara Kohler was in the mix and this was like one of her first senior appearances, you know, like, Oh God, uh, there was a lot going on with her. And then um, Ellen was supposed to be in the boat that I was racing cause she had gotten healthy and then uh, did a rib in our pre-camp before Lucerne. So she had to be pulled out of the boat and Jevy who had just finished racing the single at the final Olympic qualification regatta. So she'd raced the single like four times in the last four days or whatever, hopped in and was our bow seat. So we were just like, oh, that was a train wreck. Uh, and we all, know, we all know how taxing <laughs> the late qualification late regatta is. It's not yes. A, I mean, God a, bless her for being like, sure, I'll jump into a quad that I have like no stakes in whatsoever. I'm focusing on the single, like there's no reason for her to like agree to do that at all. And she was like, okay, yeah, I'll help you guys out. Um, so she did that and absolutely did not have to. And obviously it doesn't look great on her, <laughs> her world rowing uh, bio to have that nice fat eight on there for literally no reason at all. But um coming back from that, I was like, holy shit. Like, I feel like I was at the top of the group and now like I didn't even make the A final in this boat that I'm hoping to try to get selected to. Like, what is going on with me? And Tom pulled me aside before we started seat racing in earnest for that quad. And all he said to me was, you are going to have to be better than you have ever been. And I was like, okay, I have to be better than I've ever been. And then we started this like, you know, epic seat racing process that lasted, you know, a week. And I think we ended up doing like 23 and a half pieces. That's a, we had to start one of them over. That's why we have a half. Um, in order to figure out. <laughs> you want to know what happened? You want to know what happened? Someone, someone went over rate. 
So we had to stop the piece. <laughs> we had to stop the piece and go back and do it over again. I'm not going to say who it was because it's not nice it's, to call people out like that. It was your crew, they ended up not making the team. But um, yeah, like it was just this really, really horrific, but character building and uh, galvanizing process that we all went through. Um, and yeah, I mean, I ended up winning my seat races and making it. So it worked out for me, but you know, it was really emotional because it was, there were a lot of people that didn't make it. So it's a, it's actually, it's such a big theme when we like, we've chatted to quite a few of the, the USA uh, women's team and like seat selection Selection. is sounds like the most hardcore thing, like the way it's structured and the way that like people have to race against each other is absolutely brutal. Like there's not, there isn't another set, setup where we're chatting to athletes that it sounds that brutal. Like most people it's kind of done earlier in the season and it's not like your seat is not up for grabs like every single day. Whereas definitely in your, in your team and in your system, it sounds like we are just putting your necks on the block again and again. And like the, you really have to, you really have to like form that that steel to to make it through, which is yeah. I, I don't think, I don't saying that it's a like a bad thing or a good thing. I just that's a, definitely a trend, and it's yeah, it sounds hardcore. Yeah, I mean, it was for sure a theme during my time on the team with Tom. Um, it was just his preferred way of doing things. Um, he would always tell us, you know, prior way prior to selection, that he never wanted selection to come down to one seat race and we shouldn't want that either we should make things so clear for them by performing consistently throughout the year in the pairs and on the erg that we didn't need to have our seat raced right and in the eight that was a lot more common that a majority of those seats would be set and that he'd really only be looking for maybe one or two people at the most by the time it was like seat racing time in those eights um And that was pretty consistent, I would say. There were usually not that many seats that needed to be figured out in the eight that late in the season. But in the sculling group, that was almost never the case. And it was pretty much always all four seats that were going to be, you know, everybody against everybody. Um, He also just, I think, found a lot of value in creating that really intense pocket of training for that week or 10 days or whatever it is that he blocked off for the the seat racing stuff and like hearing adam creek talk about like the super comp stuff that spracklin was doing i was like huh i I wonder now if that was like tom's version of super comp or like the really intense stuff that would be kind of like not quite bookending um your your world championship performance but giving you enough time to do that and then have a little recovery and a pe- like a period of taper before you leave for for the world championships. Um, I don't know. I've never asked him that, but I, it always seemed like he felt like he got a lot out of that. Well, for us, he didn't do anything, but um, both socially, emotionally, and physiologically, because of how much stress you have to go through as a group in order to survive that process, I think he always felt like there was a lot of value in putting people in those situations together and having to find ways to focus on yourself, but also rely on every single other person in a very 
important and meaningful and intense way for those couple of days before the lineup is set. And I think he was right. Like, I do think that people got a lot out of that experience and feeling like, you know, everything could end with, you know, this piece or the next piece or whatever. If you go through that and come out the other side with your group, you get to the start line at the world championships and you're just like, meh, this is fine. Like, this is for fun. All the other stuff yeah. that we did that was way harder than this, that was not so much for fun. That was a little scary, life and death style. But now that we're here <laughs> and we're selected, like, this is the fun part. And I just get to, like, let it rip, you know? Yeah. And that's it. And what I get out of it is what I get. I'm already here. It's, Let's do it. Oh, it's such a cool, I don't know, I, I enjoy it. Like, it's such a cool piece of rowing. It's like, you get chopped and changed into these boats that you like you some of them you don't really like necessarily in the beginning believe in or you don't like the necessary like you're not mates with the people that you're rowing with but like your head's on mm -hmm. the block so you mm -hmm. have to make have it to work make. and you have to like work out okay i've got to like get the best out of myself and i've got to make the the crew work as as smoothly as as possible and it's i think it's it's really it's character building for the whole team to go through those stages together where like you have to make it work regardless of any like preconceived ideas or notions and you know and often it does work often you go through and it's it's awesome and it's and, and you you know you find something new in a crew that you maybe didn't think would would ever work especially going through that same process like three times in a row and kind of learning a little bit more each time you do it, um, not only about yourself, but about your teammates and how they respond to the pressure and the stress. By the time you get to the Olympic year selection, you just like, I feel like you have a really clear idea of what everyone is capable of and how much you can rely on them and whether or not they're up for kind of taking it to that next level for Olympic year selection. Yeah, and it is... I think you you hit the nail on the head there, just alluding to the the straightforwardness of going through something so hectic of that and getting to world champs and you have the crew set, you have the the performance on the table and so many variables that you've been dealing with and uh, unknown. Suddenly there's very um, straightforward objectives and you went through that process in 2012 and you got to Beijing, I mean, not Beijing this time around, you got to <laughs> London and yeah, I mean, you guys must have been really conf uh, confident, obviously maybe not too much after that eighth place finish, but it sounds like going through that process, there's uh, a certain amount of confidence comes from pushing yourself to the limits like that. And then London, what an amazing experience for you racing in the quad. Um, Getting there, I mean, the firstly, the, the London Olympics was probably the most memorable from a rowing point of view, just from the, the crowds and stuff. But yeah, getting there, racing, and then, yeah, the whole, give us the whole lowdown of how your London experience was coming away, you know, with that, that bronze medal <clears throat> and having, having such good racing. Ooh, okay. So we ended up with two people from each of those quads that raced in Lucerne. Uh, Natalie and Adrian had been in the the good quad that medaled in Lucerne, and then Kara and I had been in that eighth place quad. And Kara was still like so brand new. I mean, obviously, at least to me, he's like so talented and had so much potential. But this was like a pretty big step 
for her because she'd raced in the straight four and bled and they did well. Um, but then switching to sculling and then also being at the Olympics, I was just like, oh God, I really hope that this, this person is ready for this because she is um, very young and a little all over the place still, but she did great. Um, Natalie Dell really stepped into a super strong leadership role in that lineup. Um, she was like organizing weekly meetings for us to like sit down and have coffee and like talk about things. I don't remember what we were talking about during our like weekly coffee chats, but she was like making sure that we were all kind of like communicating and doing this stuff off the water. Um, and yeah, man, London was awesome. What a great setup that was for everybody. The village was so cool and the course was great and the volunteers, everything was just so fantastic. In terms of what I remember from the racing, the answer is very little. Uh, that was a point in my career where I feel like every time I was out racing, I would get to the finish line and I would just be like a blank. Like I don't remember where we were, where they were, or what what happened in, in a lot of those races. And that's... Uh, like how it was for all of our races really in London. Um, I don't remember much from the heat. I don't remember much from the rep. I remember very little from the final, um, except maybe in the last 250 when I realized that we were in medal contention. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, that was pretty, that's pretty much it. Unfortunately, I wish I had more memories of the uh, actual. No, no, so then, <laughs> okay. So, uh, so, we don't have to talk about the racing, but then obviously standing on the Olympic podium, you know, you've done a few world champs, you've done plenty of world cup uh, podiums. Um, but what was it like getting on the Olympic podium and especially at London when it was, it was, you know, that little bit more special. Yeah. Special. So it, I mean, it must've been, I mean, especially like your first Olympics was quite a rush. Like, you know, you just started rowing mm -hmm. and then suddenly you're at the Olympic games and you know, you were just experiencing it all with this one. You, you're a little bit more experienced, you know, two Olympic games is considered quite an experienced athlete. And you know, you, you now standing on the podium, it must, that part of it must've been really amazing. It was, um, I think, having put in those years between Beijing and London really allowed me to gain some of the perspective that I just didn't have in Beijing. And I had a lot more appreciation for the process and the, the experience it takes and the work that it takes to get to be a podium level crew at the games. And so knowing a little bit, knowing a little bit more and understanding a little bit more kind of how much it takes, I was able to be very proud of the fact that we were able to to perform i think to our potential and and get onto the podium um i think for us the stakes were also pretty they were pretty high because we knew that we had the potential to win a medal and that it had never been done before in that event um for us to feel like we were able to seize that opportunity and and come away with a medal in in an event um, that historically has been kind of a struggle for, for the U S program. I actually really couldn't, I couldn't believe that, uh, that stat that, that U S hadn't won a medal in the, in the quad before, because yeah. it's like the U S women's team has been strong. You know, there's results way back uh, at the Olympic games. It's not a, you know, it's not a, you know, some of the, some of the countries have like, no team early on and then suddenly now their teams are doing well and they're winning the first kind of medals there but like 
the US women's team was really strong over a number of years and then but they'd never won the won anything in the in the quad which was pretty in, in, amazing to read actually I was quite surprised yeah yeah and I think we were all really proud of that too because I think being a part of the group at that time and you know it was pretty pretty firmly established by 2012 that the US sweep group was like pretty 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 set pretty strong um and continuing just to like build and build and build um feeling like we were starting to get some traction in the sculling group and maybe we weren't you know on par with them on the erg or um clearly we weren't winning a gold medal in the quad which would have been you know whoa but um feeling like we were starting to to catch up or sort of establish ourselves as being on the same level or closer to that group kind of narrowing that gap between the sculling group and the and the sweep group was really big for us um and feeling like we were hopefully opening a door or creating more opportunities for people to be excited about the quad as a metal potential event for US athletes that was really big because so much of the program and the resources and the attention and kind of everything about the program, the ideology and the ethos was all about what do I have to do to get into the eight? And that's the only way that I can, you know, walk away from my career as a U.S. athlete feeling like I was successful as if I win in the eight and like anything else less, you know, anything else other than that is like less than less than the eight or not as good or you know, who cares about that other stuff? It's really just about how do I do that? And feeling like we were kind of creating an opportunity by being like, look, like this is, there's potential here. This, this is also a medal. Like this is good. And if we continue to develop talent and skills and, and excitement about sculling, like this can be another consistent medal event for us. That was really cool and, and very exciting for me because that, you know, when we set out as scholars, it was like kind of like punishment, right? Like we were just like, you're too small or too slow or, or too new to, to be good at sweeping. So you have to skull and feeling like we were kind of capitalizing on that and turning it around a little bit was really, really rewarding, I think. Um, so like and- the, the environment in the women's team must have been pretty amazing, like there's no. so many, like the culture and the results that the whole USA women's group was getting at, you know, between these, these, these Olympics was really quite something, you know, to, you know, just absolutely destroying the, the main side of their results and like, just kind of, I don't know, it must, it's the, the, like the expectation is high, but also, I mean, the results are high. It's, it's, it must have been pretty amazing just to be part of a, a team that had so much momentum and so much belief that, like, you could go out there and, and win medals uh, in, in basically any boat class. It was. It was really awesome. Um, it was really fun and interesting and, and humbling and educational to be a part of it, certainly between Beijing and London. That group was a really cool group. And I think probably out of all the teams I've been on had the best grasp on the balance between being very professional and also very cutthroat when it came to training and practice, but then also balancing that with um, having fun and enjoying each other socially off the water um, and having spaces for both of those things. 
I think the balance was really good for that that London group. I think that shifted quite a bit after London. Um, this, you know, the the standard was getting so incredibly high, basically from 2013 through 16, that the social part kind of went away. Um, we certainly were still friendly, and and you know, the relationships that people had with each other uh, between uh, Chengju and and Rio were still really good and powerful, but you know, the odd party and stuff like that, like really wasn't happening the same way that it was um, with the group that was prior to London. Yeah. And I think that's an, an, it's almost a natural evolution of rowing. Like there is always a change and especially around the Olympic cycles, you have, I always find there's always a shift, not, not even from the, from like the simple fact of like, you have sort of athletes retiring, new athletes coming through, people change after Olympics. I just think there's always a natural evolution and whatever results you get will always kind of like, will, will change the rowers themselves and, and sort of inform the next couple of years. Um, but going, going forward, and this is, I, I really am excited to chat about this because, I mean, from a technical point of view, your um, swapping around of boat classes in the next four, four years, extremely impressive, I must say. Um, but yeah, so getting into it, like you finished off London and obviously there, there was, there must've been some sort of continuation of the quad to try to keep that momentum. You go into 2013 and you guys uh, are still in the quad. You raced at the world champs. You came away with the fifth place. Um, and then how did that sort of inform your decision? Because it was, seemed like, uh, there were, that was quite a pivotal moment because the next year you getting back to your roots, which is the sweep rowing. Um, so yeah, I mean, how did that, uh, how did that situation, um, develop? Uh, uh, 2013, the post Olympic year is always a little bit of a shit show for us. Um, Tom is usually really great about allowing people to just have some flexibility and try different things and take time off or train in different places or whatever it is. Um, which was a huge part of, of the team for 2013 because we had some people that wanted to come back after London, including myself and Susan Francia and Esther Lofgren, who thought it would be so cool to row in the quad and very novel and fun to try that instead of doing the eight, which has had been really kind of their specialty um, over the past several years. For those of us who had put in all the work for the sculling, it was, uh, I'm going to be honest, I was a little resentful that those guys thought that they could just waltz in and, mm. you know, kind of swoop in and grab some seats in the quad and, you know, win it because it was so easy to do, you know, like you can just switch from the eight to the quad and it's like so easy, you just like do it and you win. And clearly that was not the case. Um, but Tom was trying to be supportive of them just like doing some different stuff and trying some different things and getting some different experiences. So boated them, even though they might not have actually been the fastest folks for those seats. Uh, so I honestly, like I had a great time with them in Chengju. Susan and, and Esther are some of my favorite teammates. I love them a lot. I didn't love sculling with them. Um, <laughs> I was stroking that boat as well, which um, I I am always a little bit more difficult to deal with when I'm in that seat as opposed to one of the other ones. But like, <laughs> there were, <laughs> there were. <laughs> you, you're not, 
Don't think you're special there with that. (laughs) I'm just saying, I'm just saying difficult as I am most of the time, you put me in the stroke scene and it's like intolerable, but you know, there were times that I was, I was uh, really ready to be done rowing with those two. And thank God for Kara who, you know, I absolutely adore and, and I love her so much. And I, I was never willing to like go completely off the rails in front of her if she was there. And I'm pretty sure that's why Tom put her in that boat is so that I wouldn't murder Susan and Esther. Um, so I was in stroke. Kara was the buffer, unfortunately, in three. And then those two ding-dongs were in the bow. And like I said, we had fun. Like we laughed a lot on that trip and like off the water, I really enjoyed spending time with them and goofing around with them. But the rowing stuff really pissed me off sometimes. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, coming off of a metal performance in the quad and then feeling like, you know, we had these two yahoos who thought that they were going to just like swoop right in. Uh, I was not super happy about, especially like Adrian ended up not making the team at all that year. Um, so that there would be room for for Esther and Susan to row in that boat, and yeah. Um, yeah, I wasn't super super pleased about that. But you know, in terms of switching to to the sweep group, um, it's interesting that you asked about how it informed my decision because it wasn't really a decision. Tom Tom made a decision. Tom decided that uh, everyone was going to sweep. He didn't want to run separate selection for the scholars and the sweepers anymore. He wanted to have one uh, means of evaluating everybody. And for him, that was going to be the pair. Um, So he had a plan that he was going to run everyone in pairs throughout the year. And then we would only start to focus on sculling later in the season. Um, but primarily all of our selection was going to start being done starting in after we got back from Chengdu was going to be pair and erg and then um, go from there. So he, you know, he presented this to me. He's like, Hey, guess what? You know, like uh, we're coming back and uh, you have to row the pair now if you want to row here. So I was like, uh, okay, this seemed like a pretty big curveball at that point. Cause I, I had been sculling for what eight, eight or 10 years or something. And now I had to go back to sweeping and I was pretty happy sculling. Like I was pretty happy, like working on that as a project and, and continuing to kind of like elevate the level of those events. And I didn't really want to go back to like the dark side. I sort of saw sweeping as being like, I don't dark know. Side. I like that. This other dark group side. that we. I thought you would be like so stoked to get back to like real yeah. rowing. You know? Real, the- real <laughs> rowing. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Well, okay. So, so what I did, I mean, I wasn't super happy about it. Right. Cause I was like, well, what the hell am I going to do? There's no way I'm going to be able to keep up with these guys in sweet boats after not doing it for so long. Um, but I was like, you know what? Okay. You're going to make me switch back to sweeping. Like I'll fucking show you. And so started getting back into the pairs and just tried to do what I could to learn from everybody that was, you know, doing sweep rowing when I had not been and just tried to sponge it up and, and see what I could pick up. And uh, yeah, it didn't take that long. It took a couple months and then I was the top starboard on the team and um, things kind of took off from there. So uh, uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. I just, yo, there's so much here. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of cool things. <laughs> no, no, no. We don't have to talk about it. No, I'm I did want to make a comment though. When you, when you said, when you said how you moved into stroke seats, 
it, you like found it, you became more difficult. Like I have mm. seen it across. I think you <laughs> you are definitely more difficult when you are in the stroke seat. <laughs> racing with this guy in the stroke seat, I there was a lot more abuse coming backwards Jake, than what I was used to. When you're in the stroke seat, you expect a certain standard from the people <laughs> rowing behind you. And uh, yeah, people you need them to them not screw up your row all the time, which is exactly, exactly. what they're always doing. Yeah. You already have more to do. Like the back of the boat is, you just got to get shit right. Yeah, you got to get shit right. Yes, it's, it is. Yes. It was quite funny. I didn't, I didn't enjoy that. <laughs> going, no, wait. So on here though, so you were like a bit upset when, you know, the, the, the sweet bros had come into the sculling and, and yeah. you know, that they had come into your quad and, and thought that they could just, uh, just waltz all over the place. And then you went into the sweep team and Absolutely. basically lost all over the place. Yeah, you really, <laughs> it's, it's, it's awesome. Well, this is why. This is yeah. why. It's because sweeping is easier than sculling. Oh, I, I disagree. There. I think sculling is a bit easier than sweeping. <laughs> really? Yeah, I do think really? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think that, I think it's easier to see like mistakes in sweep rowing like especially okay. in the in the double like it's i find it like really easy to get in the double and it for like it for it to go okay to get like 80 percent good at rowing <laughs> okay. the double is like decent and i think like doing that in the pair is much harder like you can't just jump in mm. with anyone and get like make it feel decent quickly but then getting from like 80 percent to like peak speed is way way harder in the double than in the pair like the pair gives you like feedback and like it's mm-hmm. it's such a team effort together with someone to like just make this boat go smooth and 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 feel good whereas the double like it doesn't actually matter what it feels like sometimes you and it's hard to differentiate like between the two people on what are they what each one is doing so that's my take on scudding to to sweep yes it's very very diplomatic eh? yeah <laughs> sweep more and, diplomatic than me i enjoy sweep more like i like that feedback and i like yeah. that i mean the pair for me is is the top boat yeah, yeah i don't know i think it was my i was a bit of a tongue-in-cheek comment but i i do feel like the the part where i think sweep the challenging part in sweep and i don't really know i think they're both about the same honestly but i think the the, the challenging part of sweep is that dynamic of you have to get to the catch and in sculling, where you have that very symmetrical movement of going up and uh, forward and everything symmetrical and sweep, you have to get to the catch. And then that, that pivot movement around the rigor. The rotation. Get, man, mm-hmm. The rotation. That's very, like if you look at the human body, that's quite a challenging thing to get right. And it's not, it's not like a very textbook movement to teach because you have to drop that shoulder, you have to rotate, and then to really get the length, sometimes you need to like work between the lines, so to speak, to get it right. And I don't know, it comes from appreciation from like, I really do enjoy rowing in the skull. And I think the reason why I enjoy sculling is I feel like it's, it's a little bit more straightforward. Maybe that's, mm. you know, I don't know. That's just my two cents to it. Just, uh, yeah, just the, the technique. And maybe it's just being able to work by myself and get things, get things done. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I, I, I talk a lot of shit about sweep rowing. Um, but you know, I do, I do love the pair and, and, uh, I spend a lot of time in the pair and I have a lot of good memories from, from rowing with Carrie and with Tracy. Um, but 
honestly, looking back on it, the transition was not nearly as difficult as I had made it up to be in my mind. Um, and I owe a lot of that to my teammates more than anything. Like so many of them were so proficient and so confident in, in the pair that they made it very easy for me to, to jump in and learn from them and then figure out from there kind of what I wanted to make my own for my, my, my sweep stroke and mostly my bowing, right? Like I rode in the stroke seat of a pair very, very rarely, almost never. And same with the eights and the fours. Like I would stroke a four every once in a while, the eight maybe once or twice during like all however many years that I was sweeping with Tom, I think I stroked an eight like once or twice. Um, it was really about rowing in the bow seat and matching a sweep stroke to anyone else. And having spent a lot of time bowing as a sculler and also just rowing the single a lot, that as a skill set, rowing bow seat in the pair came pretty naturally. Like I felt that like I had a lot of the tools already going into that, that situation that I could pick it up and figure it out pretty quickly. Yeah. You must've been really good though. Cause that's a, that's such a tough seat to row. The bow seat of the pairs, like that's where real athletes, they put real athletes there. I actually, there was a day, um, God, sometime before Tokyo, I did get my coach Laurel to say that the hardest seat in all of rowing is bow seat of the pair. And I felt really proud and validated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, got, so. I got Raj to say once that he, he, he puts the best athlete in the bow seat of the pair. <laughs> Oh, I was also really proud of that. Lawrence is just using the, the interview to bloke smoke up his ass. Yeah. But going back to like the different boat classes though, the, it's about it's it's actually like each boat class has its own challenge and it's like a own complete feeling. And I think it's more about like finding the position and the boat class that you enjoy rowing. Or, and, or enjoying the challenge of those certain aspects of a specific boat class, that that's where the like fun of rowing or like the joy comes in. Mm-hmm. You know, like when you spoke to the Sinkoviches, I mean, they definitely felt like sweep was way harder than sculling. Like their double just clicks and goes smooth. And they said that like every stroke of the pair was like a battle. And, uh, you know, they were so happy when they won in, in, in Tokyo because they could go back to the double and they didn't have to carry on rowing the pair to, to try and prove to themselves that they could. So mm. th- I think it's like it's very dependent on like what you enjoy and like how you, how you, how you like view the stroke, I think is quite important. But yes, Jake, let's yeah. go. Yes. So, Megan, I must say my favorite World Cup of all time was mm. World, the World Cup in Egbelet in 2014 when you had the four American pairs in the final. And (laughs) we spoke about it with Karen and Lind. And watching that race, I was blown away by just the the performance. I think it was a good, uh, such a, you know, if you want to take the 20, that that whole streak of eight racing, I often find like this is one race where you want to go watch. It's not the eight, but I think if you want to see why that eight was so, that legacy was so strong, he has a good snapshot into how mm. strong that eight was. The fact that you put four world-class pairs in, let's say, not the preferred event in inverted commas, and then you have four boats coming away <laughs> with uh, um, a final placements, two medals, and the only crew that you didn't beat was the legendary uh, GB combination of Helen Glover and Heather Standing, and you came away with the silver medal place um, with Kerry Simmons. That must yeah. have been memorable, that World Cup. 
Uh, that's a pretty memorable World Cup for a lot of reasons. I mean, that was my first real outing as a sweep rower for the U.S. Like I had at that point, the NSR that was, you know, just racing my teammates at home. That was my racing experience in the pair. And then Tom was like, okay, let's go. And we're going to race all the boats, you know, let's race the the pair. And then let's not put on too much pressure or load it up too much, but also you're going to row in the eight. And I was like, okay. Um, Cause that was my first time ever first and last time ever racing the eight for the U S also. Um, so going out and feeling like, I mean, kind of there were some expectations because we had won the NSR, so we needed to back it up if we wanted to qualify and row the the pair at Worlds. Um, but then also, like, no pressure, don't lose in the eight because, you know, no one loses in the eight. So, yeah, there was a lot going on with that. And Carrie and I were still kind of figuring out what our potential even was in that boat. Um, we we sort of got put together because I just asked the coaches if we could row together. I'd rowed with a lot of different people. And I was thinking that Tom was going to try and line me up to um, be a helper and uh, get, get some good results for some ports who were not doing so well in the, in the pair matrix, uh, get them a respectable result so that he could select them to the the sweep team. Um, Certainly not considering me like a contender for the pair. I don't think. But I asked if we could row together, and I think initially he was like, well, no, because I need you to, you know, help this other person or whatever. And I got really upset because Carrie and I had rowed a little bit together at that point, and I was like, no, this is going to be fast. I don't know that much about rowing the pair, but Carrie and I are going to be fast, and I want to row with her because this was the first time I felt like I had um, a similar experience in a small boat since I had had that that experience with Ellen. And so that's a a big gap between those experiences. And I was like, no, I'm not letting this go again. Like I have to see what happens if I row with Carrie. And I am not ashamed to admit when he tried to tell me, no, I started to cry. (laughs) I was really upset that he was potentially going to take this opportunity away and that I was going to have to forfeit it, you know, in order to, to help another athlete, which at that point, it was early enough in the quad. I didn't know that I felt like I saw the value in that. I really wanted to just see what Carrie and I could do. Um, but he eventually relented and let us let us race together. And it turned out we were pretty quick compared to the rest of the athletes at the training center. And so said, okay, sure, go row the, the World Cup. But everyone else is going to row the World Cup too. So we did that. And... Um, yeah, I don't know that I expected that Carrie and I were going to be as close as we were to to Helen and Heather. You know, they were also sort of just coming back because Heather had been out um, doing her military service. Um, so they maybe weren't even at top form. But the fact that we were out there in front and, and nah, I don't know if I'd say striking distance. It was still open water they beat us by. But I was like, whoa, this could be something. Like, I think I would like to keep rowing with Carrie after this. Um, that was kind of a, a breakout revelatory experience for both of us. Cause I don't know that she thought that we were going to think about rowing the pair after that regatta until we raced it. And she was like, Oh, this is good. You know, like we could get really fast if we keep working on this. And then the eight was just like this very goofy, you know, icing on the cake kind of ride. Like we didn't row the eight really at all in egg bullet at all before that, that final, because we were rowing on, you know, focusing on the pairs. Um, so we really just kind of hopped in and, and did it. 
and that you know and the result was that that very epic race and like this very intense insane couple of minutes where I was like just trying not to catch a crab in the bow seat and if you look at the video you see me looking out of the boat like a bunch of times during the race which is you're not supposed to do that but I couldn't help it because I you know we were losing the whole time and I didn't want to lose and I was trying to amp up the other two people in the the two in the three seat carry was right in front of me and Amanda Polk, which is, you know, one of the the big, big ergs on our team was sitting in the three seat. And I was like, I just got to get this woman to go. Uh, you know, she's like a 628. I need her to like get us through this Canadian boat. So I'm shouting seats to her and oh man. Yeah. That's one that I will go back to if I'm ever bored on the bike or something like that, I will turn that one on and watch it. Cause it's pretty entertaining. Yeah. And I mean, just that regatta in general, just, it was so awesome, you know, the first time we'd seen Egg Bullet for a while on the on the circuit and then just having uh, these awesome races come down the course. And, I mean, the race, even just amongst yourselves for those in those pairs, is like so brutal. It goes back to, like, how hectic the competition between the your team was. Like, you know, let's go race four pairs. Let's get four pairs in the final <laughs> and, like, yeah. go tear each other down the track in front of everyone. You know, it's one thing doing that at home in you know in the in the quiet of your own training camp but then to go and do it on the on the stage is 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 something else for sure and like just adds that little bit extra pressure i've raced like one or two south africa pairs overseas and it's definitely different racing overseas than racing at home yeah that's the only time i'd ever raced that many other u.s crews in one event i think it's pretty normal to have at least one other one that i've done plenty of times where it's usa one and two for sure yeah mm. but now that was yeah that, it was it was quite a, a wild res, uh, result but i think it you know it's it seemed to set you up quite well and then going forward towards world champs finishing with the you know with the silver medal with Kerry in, in 2014 must have been again like a very sort of like validation moment like a almost like you know holy shit this combination has, has got has got a lot to it and yeah, you must have been proud of the the silver medal um, finishing there at World Champs at uh, in Amsterdam. Yeah, um, you know, like I said, Carrie and I, I don't think got into the pair anticipating that we were going to take it all the way to Worlds. I think maybe we thought we would use it as a as a stepping stone to some other boat, um, but. Yeah, it just sort of kind of evolved that way. After we raced the World Cup, I was like, don't you think that we should race the pair at Worlds? And she was kind of like, oh, I mean, I guess we could. It was it was, like it just wasn't a thing that we had set out. Like when we raced the NSR, it was like, this is what we're doing and where we're going with this. But, you know, that that process over the next couple of years was going to be so important for the team. Um, I think us kind of, kicking off the medals in the pair for the rest of the quad was really important for driving competition for those seats over the next, like during those three years, 14, 15, 16. Um, Because there were a lot of people that really, really wanted to race the pair in Rio Um, because it, it did turn out that it could have been a medal potential event for a couple of different combinations in our group. Um, and most of those people were very experienced athletes who had already been to one or two games and maybe already had some gold medals from other boats. And they were like, what else can I do? I would like to maybe do it in the pair. 
but they would have had to have gotten through, you know, two or three or four other pair combinations in order to do it. So the, the competition for those seats got really, really high. I would say basically starting with, with 14, it got much higher in 15 and then it was insane in 16. (laughs) Yeah, no, it, it, it seemed that way. And then you got you obviously 2015. This is another one you have to fill in with a bit of context. You raced, kept racing the pair and then, uh, I don't know what happened after that that World Cup, but then you got got pushed into the quad. But then you raced the quad at World Champs, become World Champion. So, I mean, what a roller coaster of a, a season that must have been. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So probably you're gonna. There's like a there's a like a theme here. It's like when Tom does stuff that pisses me off, I tend to have <laughs> better performances. <laughs> Um, right. Cause you know, I told you that story about 2009 and we ended up winning in Lucerne after all of that. And, um, you know, then when he made, made the group switch to, to sweeping from sculling, you know, I was like, okay, well, fuck this. I'm going to do my thing or whatever. And ended up, you know, crushing the pair that year. Um, and this was, I think, not unrelated to that pattern. Um, 2015, Carrie and I stayed together. We wanted to race the pair for sure that year at the World Championships and kind of keep the train going. Um, but we ended up not winning at the NSR. We just, um, it wasn't even that we raced super badly. Um, I think we were on track kind of for where we needed to be in order to be really fast at the end of the season. We just weren't as fast as Ellen Felice at that point. Um, those guys were really ready to just like take that race by the scruff of the neck and go. Mm. And like, there are pictures of L from that race where she's like literally foaming at the mouth at the NSR. And Carrie and I were just not in a place where we were ready to, to sell ourselves, I think to that level for that win at that regatta at that point in the season. Cause that was like April. Um, so Ellen Felice won, won those seats and had the right to, to keep them if they wanted them, as long as they met the, the qualification criteria throughout the season. Um, and they did that, you know, we raced them USA one, USA two at, at the world cup. One of my favorite races ever, because I got to race all of my favorite pairs in the same race. That was the only time that I got to see, uh, Carrie and Grace and Helen and Heather in the same race. Um, I had hoped that I would get to see them again and it just never materialized, but um, we raced uh, Ellen Felice uh, at the world cup in Varese that year. And we, we crushed them. Like we, we won by open water and we were closer than we'd ever been to Helen and Heather. We had overlap on them, which was like, we had been getting progressively closer to that British pair every time we raced them. And that was so exciting and like, so intoxicating. Cause I was like, God, like what if we could be the ones that could eventually beat them? If we just get to race them a couple of more times, like at the Olympics. And it just never, it never came out. And that was such a, a bummer for me because Ellen Felice ended up uh, nominating themselves to those seats, even though we beat them uh, at that World Cup, and legally that that was their right to do it. They w- there was no reason that they couldn't. Um, we had shown that we were faster and that we were continuing to get faster, and that we probably would have been the better pair at the World Championships that year. But we didn't do our job at the NSR, and so we missed out. That's um, quite strange. For Carrie, yeah, I know. 
Um, that is one time, um, you know, I've said pretty openly that Tom and I don't get along and have had a lot of differences during my time on the team. Um, I've never felt like those differences really impacted my selection or my nomination to the team with the exception of this one case. This was the one time that I felt like he did not have my back when he really could have. Um, because he sat down and talked to me about whether or not L and Felice were going to keep those seats after we beat them at the World Cup. Because he knew that I wanted to really pair and that Carrie did too. Um, and he said that he wasn't going to discourage them from keeping the seats because he had already taken the pair away from L twice. She had been in a uh, an interesting situation going into the games in 2008 and 2012 where she had been the top pair and had wanted to row the pair at the games. And he discouraged her from doing that so that she would go into the eight and help the eight win the gold medals that she ended up winning in those boats. And after, after having done that to her a number of times that he didn't feel like he needed to, or wanted to take this opportunity away from her in 2015 to row the pair, if that was what she wanted to do that year, because he'd already done it twice at least. And whether or not that was the right call, uh, I think it just depends on which side of it you're on. Um, mm. I was pretty disappointed by it because I think it didn't represent the values that that we had been working so hard on as a team, which was just performance, not personal crap, um, just going fast and like being being as fast as you could be. Um and I, I, I did take it hard. I did not take it well. I did not handle it well. I did not handle it in a mature way. Um, and I was really mad about that. And it, it, was, it was a difficult situation because I could only be so mad at Tom because it wasn't his fault. Like, he's not the one that didn't win the NSR. That was me. Um, but at the same time, I felt like as a leader on the team that he really was not backing up all of those principles that he was trying to instill in us all the time, which was just win. So, you know, we talked about it and I was mad. I already said that, (laughs) Uh, but basically it was like, okay, what do we do now? And, you know, he's like, do you want to roll in the eight? And I said, not really. And he was like, okay, quad. And we knew like the quad was going to be, really really tough that year because it was super competitive the cutoff was super high it was top five in in 2015 and the quad was doing okay they'd won a medal uh earlier in the year and they'd won a medal in in amsterdam the year before but you never know with that event those those that core group of of teams that's always really fast uh you know the dutch the aussies the the poles the germans they're super consistent and you can't mess around in there um it doesn't take much to miss out. So, uh, yeah, I went into the quad to see if I could, uh, assist in, in getting the boat qualified. And there was a period of time, honest to God, I was scared so shitless that we were not going to qualify the boat. Like just like being so upset in my hotel room being like, Oh my God, how did I go from being the fastest pair to like, not qualifying the quad at this world championships. This is horrible. And we had such a stupid regatta. You know, we didn't win the heat and we barely made it through the reps, like squeaked through then, the reps. Yeah. And in the A final, you guys had an absolute blinder coming away with, you know, 
first place world champion 2015. I think that that must have been something something else after to, to end such a such a tumultuous uh, year with so many different changes going on coming away with the wind. And the first time the USA has won the quad as well. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it, it must have been yeah, at the at the end of the day finishing on that podium again. It must have been quite a um, quite a notable experience for you. It was. I mean, it just it was very cathartic getting into those last few strokes and just being like, well. I guess I made the absolute most of I as I could of this situation that I hated really a lot. So mm. there's nothing to be mad about at this point. Like we got the best possible result that we could have. So great. I feel like at, at this point, I mean, you've had like s- such an incredible cycle. You know, you've raced three different boat classes. I couldn't count the number of different combinations that you raced as well. Like just keep chopping and changing. And like had some incredible results, especially world champs. And I mean, obviously world cups just kind of raking in the, the medals. And I mean, it must've been, I mean, must, this, this, those few years, I feel like, yes, they're, tr- they're tough decisions and there's, there's, there's um, some heartache, but I mean, the results are there. And that's kind of going back to like what we all do rowing for is, you know, you want to stand on that podium. You want to see that flag getting lifted up and, yeah, I feel like that it must have been pretty amazing too to come away with the the gold medal at the the World Champs at yeah, for sure. It was literally amazing, Lawrence, because I don't know that anyone expected us to be in the mix at all. We were literally just trying not to get last because we wanted to qualify. And we were out there in that outside lane, um like I said, not having a super uh exciting or impressive start to the regatta in our first two races. Um, you know, Olivia, our stroke woman was sick. I was super sick. Um, our bow woman had never sculled internationally before. I don't know why this is a thing the coaches keep doing, but, um, yeah, like we really did not have like a stacked deck, you know, like we were just not, <laughs> it was really going to be a, a task. You should just so race everyone... at again and again. That's what you, you should do. Should... Like every time there's I do love it comes... <laughs> Yeah. Every time it comes, I'm yeah. so surprised. Uh, a magical place. You, you just get like um, an automatic qualification when the when yeah. it's on the when it's on the the this the calendar. Yeah, then, but I mean, obviously, everyone was surprised going, by that. But then going forward, like the next few years, obviously, really like tough, especially from like the expectation that you've kind of built up and and developed in your your own rowing, and then like added to that COVID and, you know, all the drama that came with that, you know, the next few years are not a lot of, there's not a lot of racing and, um, you know, and some, some tough results. So talk us through the coming back. So you finished the fifth at the, at the Rio Olympic games in the quad, and then you come back into 2017 and do you like make the decision again, or do you try and convince them to put you back in the, the double? Because in your 2017, yeah, was banging again, you know, uh, three mm-hmm. second places at all the races that you, you've done. And then you took a break for it, or I, we we're trying to work out the, the injury and stuff in 2018. Mm-hmm. How did things go kind of, what are those first two years of the cycle like? And, you know, now you've done three Olympic games, you know, you uh, probably most of the people that you started rowing with when you first went, uh, went joined the team are now retired. 
what is it like carrying on as like a more experienced athlete in the in the team and what is those first uh, two years of the, the Tokyo Olympic Games like or the Olympic cycle yeah there's a lot there um yeah I mean Rio was very disappointing um even though 2015 the result, you know the arbitrary sort of gold medal was a surprise I do still feel like the potential that the team had whether we would have won a gold medal or or just qualified the quad or or some other medal who knows like just top to bottom the team was so talented and so fit and and so capable that you know the underperformance in Rio was just so disappointing um you know, I mentioned that the the competition for those seats in the pair in particular was so high. And, um, you know, to feel like those seats got wasted by not capitalizing on a medal opportunity there was very difficult. Um, not just for me, for other people that really wanted those seats. Um, and with some personnel changes in some of the other boats, we had to shift some other things around and people who had been in the quad moved to the aid and some people that had been in the quad didn't make it and all this other stuff. And, you know, I think we just got the personnel and we got the training wrong. We got it all wrong. And that was really, really crappy because we felt like we had worked really, really hard to set ourselves up to have like almost no chance of failing. And then we did, we failed. Mm. And that was a big part of the reason that I decided to come back in 2017. I was like, well, there's clearly some mistakes that were made. How can we maybe go about this and, and see if I can learn from some of those things and do better? Um, and having done a couple games already, I was like, okay, post-Olympic year, check. We know that this is like the stupidest year out of all four years in the Olympic cycle. Everything's going to go crazy. It's going to go wrong. There's going to be new athletes. People are going to retire. All this stuff is going to change and the physiology is going to be weird because maybe you took some time off and you just got to like work your way back into it and all this stuff. So I felt really prepared in that way just to like, be super adaptable and flexible and patient and all of those things that are a little bit harder to do when you're a younger athlete, just knowing that the post-Olympic year is always so dumb. There's just always something really stupid that happens or multiple things that are stupid that happens. And I feel like that just set me up to be so much more successful in that year. Um, I was for sure still riding the fitness that we had built um, through 14, 15, and 16 through 17. And all of those numbers and stuff were all still really pretty good. And um, I was feeling pretty happy with that, kind of just maintaining those levels and those numbers on the ERG. And there weren't a ton of experienced people that were in Princeton at that time, but Tracy Iser was one of them. And when it came time to figure out what we we're going to do for selection, I was just like, listen, I don't want to mess about with all of these uh, younger kids who are just figuring stuff out. They're all going to like figure their stuff out in the eight and the four. They're going to go through team selection. I really want to go through like the self-nomination process when the NSR race the pair and just focus on that. How does that sound to you? Would you like to do that? And she said, yes. So we just focused on that to stay out of the seat racing and all of the chaos that goes into that stuff and just focused on the pair and that was so great. 2017 was awesome. You're right. Like we went and we raced a bunch of different times and we were just chasing Carrie and Grace the whole time, but that's okay. Like that's a good pair to chase and, and learn from and, and get pushed to be faster by and home world championships that year in 2017. So that was like 
such a new and, and cool experience as well. And like a once in a lifetime thing for us. So very cool. And we were the only women's boat to, no, that's not true. The women's double won a, won a medal also, but the only training center boat to, to come away with a medal. So looking back on that, Tracy and I felt pretty good about our decision to focus on that event and not get distracted or, or kind of pulled in different directions in any of the team boats because it seemed like they didn't quite have the, the system figured out yet for those guys in order to be up on the podium in those big boats. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, once we did that, she was kind of like, yeah, this is okay. Like, I guess I could keep doing this. And I was like, yes, I want to keep rowing the pair. So we started focusing on the pair. Um, and I think that was both good and bad, uh, for us, it was great because we work really well together. Um, Trace is an, a phenomenal athlete, um, super intelligent and sensitive and, um, really, uh, an excellent partner. Um, but at the same time, I do think that it caused some, hmm, uh, a disconnect or a divide between us and the rest of the group. Tom was supportive of us rowing the pair, but it did, it did create some discord because it meant that we were going to be, be doing something separately from the rest of the group and whether or not that was interpreted as being unfair or inequitable, um, or whatever, uh, there were just, there were people I think that just didn't have a lot of experience or perspective to understand that that was maybe what was actually best for the group, whether or not that's true. I don't know. Um, but trying to focus on and develop that combination as a metal metal opportunity, we felt as older athletes was, was a good investment in, in our time and resources, but potentially as a young athlete coming in and seeing two athletes getting treated differently than the rest of the group that could for sure be contentious. I could understand that for sure. Mm. So I think that then, started to, Oh, go ahead. No, no, I'm sorry. I'm trying to, I, cause I'm just dying to hear like, so 2018 is this, this is your, like the first major injury that you have to like really deal with as, right. a, as an athlete. And like you've done three Olympic cycles, your body's been kind of rock solid the whole time. And I'm sure there's minor stuff along the way, but you haven't missed, you know, uh, big stuff because of injuries. And then you have to take a whole season off for, for your back. So that must have just yeah. been a game-changing moment for you. Definitely. Definitely game-changing. Um, it was one of those things, too. Like, it felt like it came out of nowhere. I'm sure that it didn't, but... Um, you know, it was just like one day I was out doing steady state in the pair and had a back spasm and it took me nine months to recover, you know, or whatever it was. It just, it didn't feel like I had done anything too stressful or too um, wacky or, um, you know, a bad movement or a bad stroke. It wasn't any of those things. It just must have been um, some sort of accumulation of stress or, or whatever it was that just, you know put me over the edge and it just took me a long time to get and was uh, it just rest that you had or like did you have like was it up or did you do anything kind of major to to get that recovery it was a lot of different things um because first i felt like i needed to know more definitively what it was like was it was it actually something in my spine like a disc or was it something else like was it a, a labral tear or a hip or something like that that was causing um, distress up or downstream somewhere. 
So I got a bunch of imaging done, hip looked okay, no tear there, definitely a bulging disc, but nothing like extreme. And it was something, you know, I'd had a disc for a long time. Like it wasn't a new thing, like, oh, surprise, you have a disc. No, I, I've had that for a while. It just happened to be that it was symptomatic now. Um, and once I had sort of, you know, the go ahead that it was just going to be like the neuromuscular disc stuff and that my hip was actually okay and I wasn't going to need surgery or anything like that. Um, then it was just really intensive physical therapy and mobility work and, um, cross training for a long time. Cause I didn't really take time off, which looking back on it, I don't, I don't know what the right thing would have been to do. Um, sitting on the bike was not good. That aggravated the, the symptoms a lot more actually. So I was doing a lot of uh, elliptical, which is like so depressing and like soul sucking. But that was, I mean, that was my option really. Like that was what I had that I could do that was pain-free. Um, so I was doing a lot of that and a lot of physical therapy and mobility. Um, and like the elliptical, it was like in the classes, you know, with the outrageous <laughs> and, and the spandex and you were, you were going Basically, full, full Yeah, you're nailing it. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I became a total gym rat. Uh, it was pretty gross actually looking back on it and, you know, like doing two hours on the elliptical at heart rate, whatever oh, is sounds... pretty, yeah, it was terrible. Um, yeah, most it's... people don't find that normal. So yeah. that was, hmm. it's, <laughs> that's not normal. No, I mean, I, yeah. Also injury is, it's like, it's a really hard thing because I think it's almost one of those things where, you know, any athlete with, uh, you know, a long career, not even a long career, but there is injury is something you're going to have to deal with. And it's something that I guess we've learned speaking to a lot of guys on the show. And also from our own experiences, like at some point you're going to have to deal with injury and sickness. And mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's a difficult thing to, to get through, but it is, I guess one of the, we're speaking about galvanizing things. It is something that can be galvanizing. And I think it's one of those challenges as an athlete you have to, um, you have to work through. Um, and then just moving along, like you get back back in a 2019, um, back in the pair, uh, coming away with third place at the second World Cup uh, on the podium, and then a fourth place. And that was quite. A, I remember Lawrence and I, even that year, said the women's pair final that that year in 2019 was nuts. Um, was really mm -hmm. exciting race to watch, and you guys managed to come away with fourth place, qualify for the Olympics, and it might not have been. The, the result that you guys might have wanted, but I think still really in the positive direct direction. I think that obviously came afterwards to quite a difficult period for all of us across the world. Um, COVID was a huge thing. It was really hard to, to get through. And Lawrence and I, again, a very challenging period um, for us as well. And then, you know, yeah. Tokyo was obviously a difficult time. It wasn't a, it wasn't a, it wasn't a, a great a campaign. Uh, Lawrence and I also a difficult time and yeah it's to to end off the 2020 campaign with that 10 place in in um in Tokyo was obviously must have been a difficult result but ugh, it's uh going through the journey you know it's it's important I feel to maybe reflect and almost give sort of like lessons from the the tough periods in our in our rowing careers because I think as athletes it's something again that we we all have to go through is through these downs and 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 the downs and ups it's part of the the parcel of uh, elite elite performance 
Yeah, I mean, there's a lot there. There's really a lot that that kind of happened and snowballed between um, my injury and when we kind of wrapped up in 2021. Um, Mm. Because coming back from the injury, I actually felt like I handled that. I mean, at first, it was really scary. Uh, because you know at that point how old was I I was in my mid-30s and I was like oh boy like the likelihood of me being able to fix this is maybe not very high Um, I've put so many miles on and I've done this for so long I don't know if my body can come back from this or not it's um, it's really scary and not only that but I'm also in a place in you know American rowing history that no one's ever been trying to do four games there's no one I can even ask about this. Like there's no one I can go to and ask for advice. I just have to figure it out if I'm going to do it. So figuring it out and getting healthy and being able to come back and, and kind of jump into that, that group and, and end up kind of in the top starboard spot again. I felt like I, I did successfully navigate that and I was pretty happy about that. And it is and, quite a, it's quite a, like a, an awesome, it's a, as Jake said, like galvanizing, you know, you could, you, you have this injury and, and you kind of think your life's over and, and you're never going to row again, or, you know, you, you might not even walk again at some points. You know, we've all had that. You that go sort there. Of you really do go there. People are like, and, yeah. Yeah. St- straight away you go there. And then, you know, you start the healing process and it feels so painfully slow. Yes. And it's Very like, slow. it's, you know, you tearing your hair out because you just want to get back to, what you love doing and where you think you should be and you're doing something like sitting on the elliptical and it's just driving you mad. But then like when things do start to like come back and like that, you can get that fire going like so easily because you've been like sitting there like a, you know, a chained, a chained horse or something. And then, you know, once you get the go ahead and your, your body starts coming online, it's, it is something that's like quite impressive it's like one of the most amazing feelings as an athlete, like coming back from that injury and like you just almost feel unstoppable sometimes when it, when you get it right. So yeah, I mean, like I, I, yeah, I'm just I agree with you 100. percent Like the when you're flying back in and things are going well, it is quite an incredible feeling. Yeah, I mean, I was I was really happy and relieved. I guess is a really good word too that I was able to figure out a solution. Um, just because I like, yeah, I didn't have a lot of guidance. I just had to work with my team of, of doctors and PTs to just like figure out kind of day by day, what was the, the next best thing to do. Um, but once I got back, but, uh, there was some other stuff that started really getting a lot more problematic for me and for some other people on the team, which was the physiology stuff, um, I came back and my numbers were terrible and they just were not getting better numbers being uh, erg splits. And throughout the team, there was, you know, a handful of us, maybe six, seven or eight of us that had come back from Rio and were all kind of going through the same thing. Um, The erg numbers were just so, so poor, just very, very far off of all of our PRs. No one was having a, a good time on the erg and it was like process or sorry, progress was, impossible like it like we just were clawing and clawing and scraping to try and get these tiny tiny improvements and even then we were still like minutes off of where we needed to be for a workout like a two by six k or something like that and all of us were like oh my god like this is this is terrible and (laughs) and so demoralizing and frustrating and confusing because all of us had had 
developed and progressed so consistently under Tom up until that point. We had all seen those incremental improvements under his system very, very consistently and very successfully for, for so many years. And then we kind of hit this wall in that, that middle of that quad where it was people were struggling, like just having mm. a terrible, terrible time. Um, the younger kids, uh, not so much. It was really that, that um, veteran group that had gone through that Rio cycle. And we tried to address this with the coaches because, you know, there's always, there's always things that happen with like individuals, right. Where, you know, one person's having a hard time with the training or, or whatever, and you need to adapt it. But this was a whole group of us. And it was like pretty clear to me that it was because we had, we had gone through that process of that, that last quad together and that something was not right with the training for us. Um, as it stood at, at this point in the, the Tokyo quad. And it just never got better. Like we, we talked to the coaches about it. We, we were really concerned about why the numbers weren't improving and, and what we should do differently, how we should adapt the training or what changes we should make as individuals. And we just never had, never had a solution. And so we all just kind of existed in this state of crappy ergs course <laughs> for for uh, the rest of the quad and that and then, was so you, the the team's struggling a little bit and then you get added like this extra kind of complete you know sidewinding missile of covid yeah. where like yeah. now not only are like no, your training is an issue you're, you're not feeling like things are going to plan and then like now you have to deal with like lockdowns and you know COVID and masks and all the, the drama that came with it and I mean we've spoken about COVID to death on the show so I'm sure that you have this the same experience of just like absolute kind of awful yeah I mean I can't even when I think back to that year it's like blank. just blank there's nothing <laughs> happened we didn't do anything oh, exciting shit. all I remember is just sitting in my house on the oak trying to kind of keep that motivation going. And then we already touched on it at the earlier um, Olympics where like it's from when you're not in Europe, you don't get to race that easily. And now with added with COVID, you, we didn't want to race a lot because, you know, get that meant getting on a plane, flying mm -hmm. halfway across the world, you know, with someone that could easily, uh, you know, cost your Olympic dream, like in the blink of an eye. And, you know, so then, you know, so like what I'm getting to is like you, you're not feeling great. There's issues in the like physiology of the team. You then miss a whole year. And the next time you're getting in the, in the boat to race uh, like is at the Olympic games. And I mean, it's just, it's just amazing that like we all kind of even made it through that. I think, I mean, yeah, I agree. I think that is why when I think back on my Tokyo experience, I was just like, Oh my God, I can't believe I even made it there. Like, yeah, we got 10th. But like I can't, I can't even really be mad because of everything that happened up until that point. Um, I feel like I've been able to be really patient and kind to myself with that result, even though my standard for myself is much, much higher than that. Um, because we did go through so much stuff in order to just arrive there. Um, you know, all the stuff that I've kind of already discussed, the injury, the some some stuff with the team culture, um, the physiology stuff. And then, yeah, going through lockdown, you're going to hate this, but I actually really enjoyed lockdown. Uh, 
I, that, you know, not a popular opinion, which is completely fine. Um, but I had a really good setup, which is part of it. Um, and I felt like when we were given that opportunity, which is how I looked at it, I was like, wow, this could not be a, I mean, pandemic and, you know, massive casualties aside, this could not be a better opportunity for our team because our team is so young and so ill-prepared for Tokyo right now, giving ourselves an extra year to train and prepare is ideal. It is the best. Like we need that time because the team is not ready. And I was so like, okay. I, I agree with you hundred percent. Like we, we felt the same way. Like we also a young team and like, we wanted that extra time. We were like, cool, use it as an opportunity to like get better. But actually I think we didn't understand how uh, difficult and how like emotionally taxing, you know, spending a year at home and not training in the, in the crew and not getting the, like the racing, the racing and they're like not getting their like environment right was going to cost like later on for us, especially like just like kind of the long-term effects were like, we didn't think about it all really. So I think that's, um, and that kind of looks similar. Like when I look at your, at the, at you guys, you know, that your results, then it's, it's kind of, I don't know. I draw some parallels. It's interesting because I, you know, I saw that year um, as an opportunity for these younger athletes to to develop, continue to develop and get faster and stronger and more savvy. And looking back on it, I'm like, I don't I don't actually know if they had the experience even to like realize how to capitalize on that extra year. Like they still were young enough that. You know, I think, yeah, they were mostly just frustrated and bored instead of being like, oh, yeah, like this is this is an extra year that I can get my 6K faster or like I can work on my single. Um, you know, that was that was such a missed a missed opportunity for me that I felt like we we missed on, too, was when we finally did get back on the water. Everyone's in singles. Right. Like that's that was pretty common thing. But so many of the young athletes were just like, oh, I hate the single you know, single sucks. I'm not good at it. So I'm just not going to really like buy into doing single training. And I'm just going to kind of do what I need to do to get through singles until we can roll the pairs again. Instead of being like, Oh, I'm going to be the fastest single. I'm going to be the fastest single, you know, on port side or the fastest single on starboard side, or I'm going to try and beat Kara Kohler or like any of that. Like it just wasn't there. People were not inspired by the opportunity to train in the singles, which I thought was too bad because, you know, I didn't have a choice for a long time that I had to roll the single and train in it. And it was huge for me, but they, I don't think that they, that a lot of the, the women I was rowing with at that time felt like they recognized it as a, an opportunity. I think they saw it as like a, sucky thing that we had to get through in order to get back to the pairs, which was it's quite funny. Cause I like, got the, the small teams use the single as like, you always go back to the single. Like that's just mm-hmm. kind of what oh, you do at the, the beginning of the season. You know, it's not, it's like part of training and like, there is definitely a lot of value between, you know, getting in a single for a bit, just kind of feeling out rowing on your own and then stepping back into pairs. But I think once your team gets to a certain size, you know, the single then does become a bit more, like and not unnecessary but like there's so many more there's so many people that like it's more beneficial to go into pairs or or into the bigger boats yeah 
I mean, it was interesting. The, the people that I think benefited the most from rowing the single during that time were the experienced athletes. They were the ones that were like, oh, yeah, let's like mm. go go chase down Kara or whatever. Like Megan Musnicki, not really a talented single scholar, but she came out like firing on all cylinders and was like destroying people. And I was like, yeah, OK, like that's what we need everyone to be doing. Mm. And like as long as I've known her, she hates sculling. <laughs> you know, like and hates the single, but she was like bound and determined to be the fastest one in the group. You know, it was awesome. But like you said earlier, it doesn't have to feel. It doesn't have to look pretty or feel good for for it to be fast, and you don't have to enjoy it always to to make it work. Um. So we do want to come. We're gonna do. Uh, we're gonna go. You've listened to the show, so we want to do our quick fire questions, and then we're gonna come back to kind of what's happening in your life at the moment. So. When we look at the quick five questions, I mean, you've probably thought about them a fair amount. You know, you've you've listened to a, a few of the shows, so I'm hoping that we're going to get some some cracker answers. Mm. And the and now and actually, like, there's some of them that I'm really keen to to hear the answer to. So, like, you've raised a lot of um, different boat classes. And our first question in the quick fire questions is what boat class would you, would you race at the games in if you could choose any boat class? Uh, so yeah, this is probably the one I'm the most interested in. See, this one is so situational. I feel like it is really tough. No, um, right now at this moment, you have to answer truthfully. <laughs> truthfully. I know, I know, I know. Um, <laughs> it comes down to the pair of the double. Right. Um, I feel like, yeah, having missed out on the opportunity to race the pair when I was like at my my peak pair speed with Carrie in 2016. Oh, that kills me to to have never gotten to do that with her. Um, but right now I'm focusing on the double. Um, I've already raced both of those boats at the at the games before, and I love them both. Um, I personally think the double is a more interesting event right now uh, than the women's pair. So probably the double. Mm. Okay. Good, good answer. And the next one, it kind of really leads nicely. Is uh, if you could choose any three people from any time to race a Coxes four or quad, what would you, who would your crew, three crewmates be? Okay, so this one is like kind of stressful for me. I thought about it a lot. Like since I started listening to the show, I was like, oh, this is such a good question. <laughs> like, what is this for me? And the thing that I keep coming back to is I think I would want to race a lineup with the three women that I've spent the most time with on the team. So I'd want to race with Ellen Tomek, Carrie Simmons, and Tracy Iser. And I, Ellen will hate this, but I don't think that we should row a quad. I think that we should row a four. Because mm. uh, Carrie, Carrie says that she can skull pretty well, but she's not that great, actually. Sorry, Carrie. You know yeah. I love you a lot. But you're you're a more gifted sweep sweep rower uh, on port, and it works out because so Ellen and I are both starboards, and Tracy and you, Carrie. You're staying all American here, hey? All American down to the core. Well, okay. So this is the other thing that I've thought about. Um, that I think I have to stick with that as my my top choice. No, um, that's your choice. You can't, thing, just, you can't have two choices. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. One thing that I thought so... a lot about is that I always wish that I could row a four with myself, Carrie, Helen, and Heather. I always thought that that would be oh, such that a would cool be a good one. Yeah, um, they were so, Helen and Heather were so, so important to me during those years that Carrie and I were rowing together because they inspired us to work so hard. 
for so long um, because they were so good and so much fun to race against. And I respected them so much that, um, yeah, they were the, the pair that, that inspired us to be better all the time because they were the ones that we wanted to beat. And um, I think rowing it with them and, and carrying a boat would have been cool. And uh, I mean, pretty similar thing with, with me and Tracy and Carrie and Grace as well, because I felt like the relationship, at least on my end, was pretty similar uh, when I was racing the pair with Tracy against Carrie and Grace as well. Nice. So if, uh, what is your favorite rowing race that you, uh, that you find yourself watching again and again? You already mentioned one. So is, it the, is that the race that you'd watch the most or is it another race? Obviously, it doesn't have to no, be No, it's probably races. not, actually. Um, this is an extremely basic answer, a very popular answer. I do love the, the men's pair race from 2000. Um, I also love the men's four race from 2004. Oh, the two classic answers. Those are the, those are the big ones. I know, the- I know, super basic. I'm, I was hoping that I could come at, at you with something a little more original than that, but those are no just way. so good. Those are the best races. Are the, yeah, I think like, <laughs> it's a reason, there's a reason everyone chooses the two. I think from a, just from the spectator point of view, especially if you understand a little bit of the context and the, the mm-hmm. his, history that goes into those two races. They are quite spectacular, but um, it's definitely going to be the most watched races yeah, for rowing. Maybe, yeah. There's, there's no way there's any other race that's like got more hits on YouTube for sure. Well, you would have to. I think you would be surprised, but yeah, that's not, that's a. Uh, what other race is going to have more? I don't views? know, dude. I have no idea. Oh, Jake, biased. Anyway, the next uh, <laughs> the next question is: if you were in charge at World Rowing. What would you change? Oh, this one's so hard, you guys. Um, but I'm not going to... Okay. We need, we uh, need the 30 seconds timer for this. Question. I know, I know, I know. Okay. Caroline's answer, obviously, the website is terrible. World Rowing, if you ever listen to this, please fix your website. It's terrible. Um, no, it's not easy. So that's a great answer, it's, but... It's not even broader than that. It. It's not even a fix, just... <laughs> Just go, the just go back downgrade to what you guys had. I, I know it's so annoying, um, but you know, more, bigger picture. Um, I would love to have more opportunities to race as a North American athlete. I don't know that there's really a good solution for that besides racing Canada all the time. Um, but you know, it is it is like you've mentioned. Like it's difficult to travel and get over to Europe and stay over there for, for the entire summer. Cause that's really kind of the option. You can't be flying back and forth across the Atlantic three times. Right. So um, figuring out ways for, for those of us who are not in Europe to, to race more often, uh, race more often would be great. Um, I loved Eric Murray's answer to this question, which was creating like a smaller squad of athletes that all have to double up into the events. So you bring whatever it is, eight or nine people, and they all have to race two or three boats. Um, But my big thing that I would love is mixed gender racing. I would love to race mixed boats. I think that would be really, really fun. Take a page out of the the master's rowing and the para rowing. I think that would be very cool too. And I think rowing lends itself so nicely to that sort of format that you can't get in other sports to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very simple to 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 implement that, I guess, from a technical point of view in a rowing boat. Yeah, I mean they've done it at, tra- at um, in track and field with the mixed gender relay. It's so cool. Um, mm. I don't know. I feel like yeah, it could absolutely work. I don't know. 
I don't know how or when, but I think what it'd be boat, really fun. What boat would you would you introduce for mixed? I'd have to be a sculling boat. It would. No, you could do a four. I think it would be more difficult, I guess, to balance the you know the power uh, differentials out of you in a sweep boat. Yeah, but a four you mm-hmm. could go like two and two. I suppose yeah, you could do that. It's true. Yeah. Um, I was thinking an eight, but um, yeah, maybe a quad would be fine too. We wrote like we wrote quite a few mixed um, eights. Like so, in our training, like we would do, especially early in the season, we would like spend time in the singles. And then, like, once a week, we would get into eights to do, like, competitive kind of uh, low-rate pieces against each other. And then, like, every now and then, our team would be, like... Because our team is, like, generally between, like, 15 and 20 people. And then Mm -hmm. to get the two eights, they would put in, like, the top goals. So we had, um, like, Nadine and uh, Lee, you know, often stepping into each eight. And, yeah, it was awesome. It was very cool. And like this, Carrie and I have to, yeah. Carrie and I got to hop into the men's eight at some point. Um, she and I stuck around after the women's team had left um, for a little bit longer, and the men needed a port, so they were going to ask Carrie to step in, and she said, "I'm not doing it unless Megan gets to row too. So he, uh, one of the coaches, put us in as bow pair in one of the Jeez, men's so you eights. Kicked someone out. out. Yeah. You even kicked someone yeah. out of the eight. Yeah, yeah he, put, that's it. he kicked out one of the men. Um, <clears throat> and I was like, actually, I don't know if this is going to be a good idea because no matter what happens, someone is going to be really mad. So if our boat loses the steady state workout, they're going to be mad because they had two women in the boat and it's going to be our fault. If the other boat loses, they're going to be even more mad that they lost <laughs> to a boat with women in it. It turned out that our boat won. But... I don't know. It was it was an interesting experience. We did have fun. Oh, and actually, another time, another time we we rode mixed boats was uh, Jake and I were coming back from an injury, and we were rowing in like uh, we were rowing a double at that time, or we were in the pair already. We were rowing in the pair, but they had quads on the water, and I think therefore for, for they had two men's quads. I think they had a lightweight quad and a heavyweight quad rowing, and then for fun. They decided to put Lawrence and I together with a lightweight double of uh, Kirsten Nicole together in a quad with uh, them up front and us in the bow seat for competitive steady. And yeah, yeah that was a lot of fun. And also, it was, like, it was the first time Lawrence and I had done any sort of intensity, competi- uh, like competitive intensity, basically gotten a green light to actually give it some gears in months. So we were dying <laughs> to feel the feel the steel a bit and i just remember that we were definitely the fastest quad on the water and, and there were a lot of fireworks it was a it was a very contentious type topic because like the the rest of the team had obviously trained bloody hard that week and we and jake had like we had been doing nothing and then we got this like little <laughs> sniff at like competition you know rose we're so mature when it comes to like something competitive. Mm-hmm. So we were <laughs> all in and like, yeah, I remember we were like returning at the one end and I just remember looking across at the, at the lightweight quad <laughs> and they were having like a full <laughs> domestic. domestic on the water and like just shouting at each other and it just felt so, so good. So yeah. So actually mixed crews work for sure. I think it'd be great. But, 
um, moving on to the, I think the one that everyone loves loves to know about is uh, what is your two KPB? And you said that you got it back in twenty eleven. Yeah, twenty ten or twenty eleven, I forget. I think it was twenty eleven. Um, my two K is a six thirty seven. Cheers. Yeah, that puts you in a very competitive group here. So you on our list. So we we have our list out now, and we got uh, all the athletes we've ever had on the on the show, and there've been some outrageous ergo times, mm-hmm. I must say. And you go uh, with your six thirty six. Six thirty seven. Yeah, six thirty seven, just behind Kaila. Kerry Gowler is on a 6.36. Sanita Paspira is on 35. And uh, and then you beat uh, Carolyn Florin, Caroline Lind. Oh, yes, you, you beat all the USA yeah, girls. The yeah. USA, were you the top USA woman we've had on the show? Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, I, that's hilarious He's, because I'm actually one of the slowest kids on the Oregon US. <laughs> Maybe that's a uh, yeah. poor reflection on our, on our side. Uh, I mean, I can get you some email addresses if you want to talk to the real power powerhouses. No problem. Um, yeah, That's no, I did that really cool. in yeah 2011. I was probably in prime uh, prime erging time. I would have been like what 26 or 27 at that point. And yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, for context, in case people don't know, I am 5'10 and like 160 pounds. So. I was at one time pretty proud of that because a lot of my teammates that I that I erged against, erged against, rode against on the US team, both who I've beaten and haven't beaten on the erg are a lot, a lot bigger than me. So yeah. if you're out there and you're a smaller open weight woman, can, don't let anyone yeah. tell you that you can't can't break six yeah, four. You can definitely do it. The the one sixty pounds, that's a what is that? That's about like seventy kilograms? Yeah. Something they're like about take you in to speak about Women's weight. Oh, we way beyond that at this stage. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so race. Uh, what sport did you choose to go to the Olympics in? Now you had to do five. Which uh, where are you going? Uh, heptathlon. This one's like a no-brainer for me. I think, um, yeah, being like the best overall, well-rounded, multi-talented athlete in the world is where it's at. So heptathlon or decathlon, for sure. Yeah, that's a. I think that's the first time we've had actually a heptathlon or decathlon nomination. It is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just think it's it's super interesting to have to train in so many different disciplines, many of which are just like not related to each other. Um, modern pentathlon, I feel like, is like that similar idea, right? It just doesn't have the same street cred, I don't think. Also, mm, I don't like yes. swimming. I, I can swim. Swimming is fun, but like competitively no yeah interesting okay. choice yeah i'm impressed that's a good one mm. and like i think like you know rowers are generally like we dig the we need the the physical element of like something hard and then we like we more well-rounded than some of the other athletes so maybe you would, yeah. maybe you can do it hey uh definitely or, not at this stage i don't know that there's a lot of room for like a 40 year old heptathlete i think it's a young woman's <laughs> game but anyway, I think uh, Megan, yeah, I think it brings us towards the the end of the interview, and yeah, just a huge from our side, a huge um, thanks to coming on the show and sharing your story with us, and uh, 
your athletic journey through the sport that's continues. And yeah, I mean, it's been a pleasure listening to you. I mentioned earlier, just like the absolute privilege that I guess Lawrence and I have of, of speaking to so many rows from around the world and different backgrounds and whatnot. And yeah, it's been a, it's been great chatting to you and yeah, thanks for, thanks for coming on the show. No, thank you, you guys. And please keep doing what you're doing because, you know, so many of your shows that I've listened to have been so meaningful to me and getting to hear kind of the, the stories of the ups and the downs of so many people that I really, really admire and look up to and, and respect a lot has been really, really great and important to me as an athlete as I kind of continue to navigate this weird world that we're in. So please <laughs> keep having more people on. I really appreciate it. And, and I love listening to you guys chat to these other people. So. Yeah, and I'm sure your story will um, will inspire someone else that uh, that listens. And yeah, it's been really, really awesome. So yeah, as Jake said, huge thanks. We you you gave up a huge chunk of your of your day to come on the show. And yeah, we really look forward to to seeing what you get up to this year and hopefully next year in Paris. So yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be exciting I'll to probably see. I'll probably see you overseas as well. It'll be it'll be cool to bump into each other. Oh, I really hope so. I mean, we still have so much work to do and we have no idea how fast we are. So, um, yeah, we'll <laughs> definitely see. <laughs> yeah. Definitely see. Nothing is guaranteed at this point and uh, no one's going to just give those seats to us, I don't think. So, yeah, no. definitely Whether have our work On the out. bank or on the water, I'm sure we'll, yeah, we'll either, see. I, either see way, we'll see we'll 100%. You know, this is an interesting world we live in. So, I'll, um, I've no doubt I'll cross, a pass will cross it at some time. So, it'll be great to, to have a chat. Yeah, sounds good. Cool, guys. So that is a wrap of our Megan Colmer episode and what an awesome episode that was. Um, as I said at the beginning of the show, uh, what a an athlete that's done so much, uh, so many different boat classes, so flexible between uh, different disciplines and you know different crews and i think that's for me is the biggest takeaway of how an athlete can you know have an open mind to be able to jump between different crews and perform in different boat classes you know with different coaches different uh, teammates i think is is always uh, going to be a uh, you know something awesome to discuss what do you think jake yeah 100% and um, i mean i did mention it earlier but like we we spoke about it in the podcast, but you know, looking at her her twenty sixteen Olympic cycle, and 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 appreciating the the ability to sort of jump in and out in and out of boats and you know and make make the boats go fast is it was really impressive and you know ultimately they uh, Megan didn't manage to get the the medal at twenty sixteen, but I think that doesn't take away from the you know the incredible results that she achieved throughout that uh, Olympic cycle. And I think it's something that um, we definitely see as a common a column the- common theme throughout these uh, amazing athletes that we interview here on the row show is this dexterity to move in and out of boat classes. And it's for, for me, it's like hunting where the opportunities lie and going towards those opportunities. And that for me is, is really where you start seeing signs of, of incredible rowers is that ability to sort of go through and not being restricted by events and disciplines. So overall, fantastic, very insightful. And I feel like I've sort of walked a journey, so to speak, with her through this episode. No, big, well said, Jake. I think you you nailed it there. Um, as we said before, 
go and have a look at our Patreon. Go support us. Tell your, your friends about us. Get one more person listening to the show. We, re- we will really appreciate it, and it really goes a long way in keeping the show alive and keeping the show ticking. Um, we've also got World Masters coming up uh, in a few weeks' time, uh, end of September, and I think that'll be a big event for, for us. We're going to do a live recording at the event uh, so that'll be our first dabble at a world rowing event um, maybe we'll we'll do an interview on the stage there which is going to be incredible if you are a patron and you're coming out to world masters just drop me a message and uh, we're gonna we're gonna set up a kind of a lunch or a dinner um, with all the patrons and kind of just have a, a hangout which will be really really cool awesome to you know we've chatted so much on our WhatsApp group and, and you know, over the, the phone, but it'll be so much better to kind of meet some of you in person, which I'm really looking forward to. And then we also have our Rowing Almanac coming out for the patrons uh, very soon. We're just trying to nail down a few of our um, kind of errors and mm. just clean up the data and being able to present it in a way that, um, that works really well. But it's really exciting, and I'm sure all of you are itchy to get away from World Rowing's difficult website, so I'm sure you will appreciate the the effort that we've put in uh, for you when we when we launch it. So yeah, keep uh, your eyes and ears open for that, and we'll let you know about it coming soon. Awesome, yeah, awesome stuff, guys. It was great, great interview, and uh, till the next time, uh, keep well and enjoy your week weekend. <laughs>